back for another week of SVS Fly Fishing Podcast, and what is happening, my good friends? Welcome back, Jed. Heck yeah, man. <coughs> what? <laughs> no, Who's this that? is Cody Marks with uh, the singer from Five Finger Death Punch, huh. and Mick Mars is playing, drum, er, playing guitar from Motley Crue, huh. and Travis Tritt is also in the song. Oh, jeez. So, yeah, Jack Slater, uh, he introduced me to this last night while we were having a little bit of a bender. I was like, dude, you have to text me that because I'm never going to remember it. We're coming into it tomorrow. <laughs> so, I, I'll i tell you what. I hung out with Jack Slater last night. I miss that fat bastard. <laughs> he is, he's a good, great time. Oh, what a good time to hang out with. He's, oh. like, he's like having a 24-hour hype man. <laughs> my boy, my boy. Anytime I walk into the room, he's awesome. He's stopping by next week? Yeah, he is. He was actually said he was going to stop by today, but I don't think it's going to happen. He had to go to uh, Pittsburgh to see his in-laws. So, But yeah, he's coming by next week. And uh, let's throw this out right now. If anyone is local, Western Pennsylvania, Northeastern Ohio, Next Sunday. If you want to make a drive, you're welcome, to be honest. <laughs> we're we're going to turn some birds, have a little bit of party, and do a podcast. So uh, if anyone wants to come by, shoot us a message on Instagram or Facebook or call me, 724-813-8695. I'll answer. What, uh, <laughs> you, you Charges say, by the minute. You're just like, Kelly, you'll be the one answering the phones. Exactly. Uh, what, we got two and a half hours, three hours for this driver so far? For the what? what for the about? party. Isn't Evans coming down? Yeah. 
That's what I'm talking about. That's a three-hour drive to come hang out and party it up. He is. He's coming. PJ's coming. It's going to be a good old time. A lot of fly fishy dudes going to be around. And I don't know. I'm, I'm debating whether I want to fish till noon or just start to party off early. <laughs> Sit here and drink by myself at 8 in the morning. <laughs> That'll make for a I'll good come, day. I'll come join you. <laughs> That'll make for a great podcast. <laughs> I got to I, I told I told the bosses. Uh, so I'm getting drunk at your house. Uh, I'm not coming to work. I think I might need the next day off. Uh, probably gonna you know try to sleep a little and then maybe fish the next day sometime. Yeah, we're definitely gonna stick a muskie the next day. Yeah, somewhere. You don't someplace. You don't catch mm-hmm. muskie unless you're dry heaving before you get there. Well, yeah, the last one I caught at that lake, I was dry heaving. Actually, no, I think I, I had solid vomit come out. <laughs> Even better. That means it's surely going to happen. <laughs> hey, on that note, tonight's show brought to us by Predator Fly Gear. Check them out at predatorflygear.com. A-Rex Hooks. Freshwater, saltwater. Check them out at arxhooks.com. Sims Fishing. You can find them at simsfishing.com. Tonight's show is being recorded at the Urban Fly Company Studios. And we are being hydrated by Miller High Lifes. Go check them out. All of them at urbanflycompany.com. Speaking of, <laughs> I don't know about the high lifes, but I do got a handful of Allsdorfs right now. So if you're listening, you're in need, hit me up. I've got a few different dyed colors, a couple different grades. But also check out Why Not and their app, The Dock. We're Yeti? missing Yeti. Built for the wild? Booyah. Booyah. With, uh, uh, tonight's guest. With also, we want to get tonight's guest in. Yeah. We'll be talking to Bob White here in a little while. We have a little bit of an exclusive with Bob White, so uh, make sure you tune into the interview and listen. Bob's got some news that uh, that he's generously letting us drop. So we I will can't fulfill wait. the second half of the Lost Files. Now we will. We're going to start 201 clean. Did anyone ever see uh, the the movie Cabin Boy? Mm-mm. He uh, he ends up having sex with a uh, some Loch Ness mermaid monster, and he's like, "My pipes are clean. We're gonna be clean." <laughs> so so, can, can you go back and can everybody go back and can still listen to podcast one, right? Yes, number one. Okay, everybody can listen. So to. if you know if you want to get a like a an idea of what it's gonna sound like this next coming week for the two hundredth podcast. I would go back and listen to podcast no, one. No, no, no. <laughs> because it's go sound. back and listen to the beast from what was that, seventeen yeah. or eighteen? Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then tell us how much we've improved. <laughs> Not even that. You're just it, the drunkenness. The drunken level is going to be the same, I believe. Don't be such an asshole. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got some new drops to play with. I had my wife record some. <laughs> was that your wife's voice? Yeah. I just recorded her talking to me. Such an asshole. Don't be such an asshole. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> oh, he's going to be stockpiling these things forever now. Are we just going to sit here and not talk for a while and just yeah, let Chad run through this yeah. shit? Here's my absolute favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm, I, I wish I would record my wife while I was doing that. She's like... Don't you do that. Stop doing that. You're going to get pink eye. That was your, that <laughs> was your, that was your wife's fart too, right? It was. Okay. <laughs> she farted into my, my microphone and said, never touch oh. your eye on your microphone because you'll get pink eye. <laughs> oh, my God. So, Mark, you, you had a little bit of a funny story yesterday. 
when you went fishing. Oh. Funny to us, at least. Oh, this guy, <laughs> it, it kind of was funny. I'll give it that. But it was freezing yesterday morning. Not first like Saturday you had off in a while, though, right? Yeah, it was the first Saturday off in six weeks. And it was, what, 20 degrees and blowing wind and snow in the morning. So it's like one of them drives up where it's like decent, then it's covered, then it's decent, then it's covered. And as soon as you drop down there, it was like, holy crap. They had like five inches of snow. So I drove all around. And there's like none of the pull-offs you can see there. So really? Like, well, I can't. It's fly fishing, not sex. <laughs> He's just going to keep going. I, thought that, I, I didn't think that was going to play. I was waiting. I, was <laughs> I didn't think it was going to play. <laughs> so I couldn't see anything. So I drove the whole way back into town and parked at the store there. So walked the whole way in, get into the creek, hook one fish like right off the bat. Yeah, it's real silver fish. I couldn't tell if it was a real one or a stocked one. Walked my way the whole way down through the creek, which you, I don't know. You hooked it, didn't land it, right? No, I got it right beside me with the like lift the line up popped off. Okay. Perfect. Good enough. Keep on going. One well one cool thing that did happen in between there is I did get in this long stretch and it kind of bellies to like a three, four foot pocket there. And I get right to the top and I see this whole pile of bait fish sitting there. So I'm watching them trying to see if there's any like trout up underneath them. After a couple minutes I finally see this trout. And it like works its way out. So I throw a fly in. It kind of bumps. And it turns sideways. I'm like, what the heck is going on with that thing? Here it had T-bone, one of them <laughs> one of them bait fish. And it was hanging out of both sides of its mouth. Them things are probably like a three-inch bait fish. And that tried them seven, eight inches. Oh, perfect. So finished walking the rest of the way down through there. <laughs> Get that into the main stretch. Make three, four, five casts. Boop. Hang it in a tree, break my fly line, and turn around and go right back up the whole way. <laughs> it was a good day. To Game take over. Your, good day to take your rod for a walk. That was about <laughs> it. And that walk back upstream in that little spot isn't exactly fun. No. That, that's cool. It cold though. yesterday, though. Mm-hmm. That would be worth it to see that, that T-bone minnow. No, things considered. It was, all right, whatever. It was nice to get out for a walk. Nice morning. Everything was snow covered down there, so at least, I don't know. Better than sitting in the house. Yeah. But Everything's better than sitting in the guides house. Guides were frozen the whole time. I mean, you made two, three casts. Everything was froze up. So to try to go musky fish, you might as well just throw your fly line in the garbage. You're just going <laughs> to destroy it. Speaking of that, have you got your uh, your one back from... I have not. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's a great story. Oh, I did. <laughs> the wrong one. What? You so didn't tell me that. Sent, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I get, just got sent back. Oh, about a week ago now. Was it was it a usable one? No, it was the same one I got on another rod. Oh, but it don't don't need another floater. Yeah, exactly. But the replacement for it no, not yet. And what it has to make it all the way back before they'll send you another one? I don't know. Supposedly not, but <laughs> I sent all the tracking information and I haven't heard nothing. So we had a we had a tying night just this two nights ago, and that was a hoot. It wasn't a giant turnout, but it was one of the most fun tying nights I've had in a it long was, time. It was a good evening. Even a little bocce play too. Yeah, <clears throat> Derricka, he's getting that uh, body tubing head down. He's progressed well. His hollow flies are good. And uh, I, before Jay and I left this morning, I hopped on onto the onlines. And I found McMaster car. I was like, oh. Uh-huh. Found the body tubing. 
I sent Derek the link. I said, this is way cheaper, brother. You know, I, we had talked about it. We were mm-hmm. you know, debating on where to get it. And I'm like, that is just, you know, tubing for, you know, car or whatever wiring. You could probably just get it cheaper that way. I mean, you could go buy for somebody. It's probably a better way to just, you know, support, you know, fly shops. But if you want 10 feet of it for $2, <laughs> go buy from them. Exactly. I've never needed enough of them. I mean, I don't tie a lot of T-bone heads. See, Go I ahead. like them. Play with your toy. Go ahead. I do like them, you're too. waiting. Don't be such an asshole. I, w- I just wanted to do it when Jay was done talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he tied one that night, and it turned out pretty good, but the he posted one online. It looked really good. Yeah, that one looked, looked real, real, real good. So, Double. Yeah, when you put the goop all over the head, and that seemed to work pretty well. Uh, I don't know how I got cut off here. Can I hear myself? Or Can you everybody else hear me? <laughs> can you hear yourself? Oh, I can now. Okay. okay. You can talk into the mic, you can hear yourself. Well, no, it was uh, this I couldn't hear through my headphones. Sorry about that. That's that, real life problems. But that T-bone turned out really well. Let's see how it swims. Take yeah. Them out. That thing will fish well. Good color. Mm-hmm. Let it see a musky. It always feels better when it's on one of your flies, too. At least I, I think so personally, don't you? Mm-hmm. I don't think I've caught a muskie on someone else's fly. Has anyone here on at this table caught a muskie on a fly that they didn't tie themselves? I got a couple on Pat's. You couple did. on uh, Pat Cohen's. Oh, yeah, you come on a slot mop, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Um, that might be it. So Pat Lombardo and Pat Cohen. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. I don't I, I There might be. I just... I'm blanking at the moment. I've thrown a lot of Streamer King flies. I've thrown a lot of Urban Fly Company flies. I've never caught one on something that wasn't mine. It's just something to think about. Uh, yeah, but no. I caught one on a game changer that wasn't mine. Justin's fly. Hey, he can't tie flies. Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, we did deer tails this weekend. Or this week. Man, it's a lot of work for uh, these tails. <laughs> these tails, yeah. Yeah, these tails, yeah. At least these ones were clean. That was substantially better than the last batch. Oh, it was night and day difference. I mean, there was they, actually... They were bloody. There was and 90% of these were white. And there was one tail that had poo on it. Yeah. And that was it. A lot of them have poo on them to start off. I'd imagine if I had a tail, it'd have poop on it. Oh, speaking of that, did you happen to see that chicken that your dad had? No, I didn't see the chicken. My dad had a... People have, like, these chickens that just run our neighborhood, my parents' neighborhood, <laughs> all over the place now on 318. So sometimes they get whacked, and he had a all-black chicken in his front yard. So I might have to go Dude, look at it. it. Well, if it's a hen, you yeah. think that's... that's oh, game changers right yeah. there. Yeah, I was just thinking of that. And he's like, I was like, is it in good shape? He's like, yeah, it's in good shape still. It's not like it's like mangled and it ran over 12 times. So We should do that, and then we should deep fry it. <laughs> this weekend, we'll just throw it on the spit with all the other ones and see what it tastes like. You better go get it before someone else runs it over. It might have took it off the road, hopefully. Did you take it off the road and put it in a garbage bag and put it in the fridge? I don't know. Huh? Guts in. <laughs> we didn't get that far. Conversation. But I, uh, I did some time with my daughter ye- yesterday. And, uh, it actually went well. We tied. I've been tying clousers, you know, bunches of clousers. I have the eyes and everything sitting there. And if you're in the mode, just keep tying 
you know what I mean, stockpile for the summertime. And You're going to need them. Yeah, the, exactly. And then I'm losing them on the bottom, too. But So it's an easy pattern. I was like, well, I wanted to. If we I, we just had a nice Saturday of sitting in because it was a little cold. We actually got out for two hours outside too. Did a lot of running around and re, you know just we had adventures and running around in snow, whatever. But little time sitting on the vice and I set up another vice up next to her and I did steps. I said, all right, watch. This is what we're gonna. I'm gonna do. Watch how I do it. And then she would try to do it or I'd help her do it and it worked really well. And she the, the clouser looks great. All the thread wraps were hers. Helped hold some of the material here and there, but. Like, even just to hold it up so she could thread wrap back down the bottom piece of, you know, um, uh, deer coming off the bottom side of your clouser. Stuff like that. But other than that, she had pretty good herself. So, I was proud. I was like, damn, that's going to catch fish. I know it. So, can you explain to me why you taught your daughter to wrap behind the eyes? I actually, there's a funny story on that, yet. I, I tie mine that way. I don't know why I do. I just, it's just, but I, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't think it matters. No, it, it and, obviously doesn't. And, and you know, you sometimes you'll lose some of that. I think it just holds the hair in better, sure. personally. But uh, uh, for her, no, I I actually had her do it the right way. I had her do it without doing those wraps in the back at first, and she was like, "But it doesn't look like all the other ones." Uh, and when she put it down on the desk, and I'm like, "Well, that's the way you're supposed to do it, or whatever, what everybody else does." And that's the way the guys heckled me to do it. <laughs> and I was like, she's like, nah, I, I, I got to look like all the other ones. So we put it back up there and I just had her thread wrap around there a few times and tied it off and glued it. I actually taught her how to tie a knot. You taught her how to whip finish? Yes. You know how to do that? With her. Well, I I, sh- I, tried, I showed her with the, it's hard to show somebody else and hold the whip finish tool and everything and do it. So I showed her how to do it with her fingers first. And that works fine, you know, for first just to get an idea of what you should do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I taught Michael how to use the whip finish tool on Friday night. <clears throat> and he ended up getting it. He tied two flies and whip finished them both. There was another young tire there. Uh, Derek's son. Um, Andrew. Don't mean him. Andrew, thank you. Uh, he was tying some cone. Pumped out them leeches. Yeah, conehead, little conehead leeches. Those are going to catch fish. They look better than any fly I tied. Look at that. Mark got service with a smile. He got cheesecake delivery. Thank you. <laughs> Some of it was from his wife and not yours. Yeah. I I came in, I I was eating one like an ogre. I didn't have a plate or a fork. I was just holding it like a taco. You guys didn't notice that? No. <laughs> yeah. Completely missed that. I was cheesecaking it up. It's for your wife's birthday, Jay. Yeah, it was my wife's birthday this weekend. It's a good time last night. We had fun. We're not had a good meal, went much good movie. Went home, went to sleep. You got prank called. We did. We got a prank called by some people to come over, and I literally was sleeping, and I was at, what, like 10? I have no idea. I think idea. it was right before 10. I watched the end of a basketball game, and man, I mean, it was serious. Like, lights were gone. I was got, pff, gone. Man, I had a full belly. You know how that is, man. You get a night. I gorge when I go out to eat. Like, I gorge myself till I hurt, till I want to cram another beer down my throat, but I can't even cram another beer down my throat because I'm just so sick and full. That's, I went to Buffalo Wild Wings and had 20 boneless wings. John Lark looked at me like, what are those? Boneless wings. I can't help it. I like chicken nuggets. <laughs> but I ate all of them, and I, I had to suck some beers down. Oh, man. But Love it. The salt content, man. Whoa. I can feel myself shriveling, but I look like a SpongeBob when he walks out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. 
Other than that, we what uh what we rolling on time here before we're gonna get into Bob. Uh, we can do a five minute story, or we can cut her off and tell any story after Bob. We're gonna cut off. You got them super high shorts on again, don't you? I do. These are a different pair. All my shorts I bought last summer are super high. I, well, when they when they grow, when you grow exponentially out when they get pulled out does that mean they shrink in in length? No, they're not like my t-shirts. <laughs> the more you pull them sideways, the more they. No, they were really cheap, so I think they only gave me a, a little bit of fabric. Uh, <laughs> they cut off the price by cutting off the length. I'm used to wearing jorts like a uh, like Cholo does. Well, that's how the cool guys rock them now, up, like halfway up their thigh. Yeah, that's how these are. Yeah. You just don't nair your thighs enough. No, I don't nair. So, you, so you're just like two bushes coming out. <laughs> oh, jeez. I uh, do as much manscaping as I'm probably sure it's sticking out the bottom of these shorts. Because <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll end that at, we're gonna uh, five minutes and because uh, these shorts are Daisy Dukes. Oh yeah. Like like the front pockets are hanging out the bottom of them. <laughs> I, I, wow. And then my belly's hanging over the front. It's all, my belly's almost longer than well than the shorts are. I was gonna really, tell Ashley. He really is gonna be like a true life Furby. <laughs> got the belly, got the fur out the shorts. He's gonna like set him up on a table and pet him. <laughs> I was gonna tell your wife, you know, when she texts you for ticks later, make sure you lift up his gunt. <laughs> Check under the gun. Oh, no, no, we're taking a break. (laughs) (laughs) And we are back with the author and artist, Bob White. What's going on, Bob? Oh, man, so much going on. It's hard to to keep up with it. Um, Just uh, working on a painting for Trout Magazine and uh, a couple of commissions and uh, knocking around a couple ideas for some stories. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been a full weekend. So the Trout Magazine stuff, let, you mentioned it. Let's start there. Um, sure. How, how often do you guys, uh, or do you have to have a illustration for Trout Magazine? So uh, John Garak and I have a, a collaborative column, and uh, Trout has um, seasonal issues, so spring, summer, fall, and winter, um, so four issues a year. Um, John's a great guy to work with because um, uh, during the winter months, he, he'll he'll just sit down and crank them out and I'll get a year's worth of columns, um, you know, on my desk, um, way ahead of time. And it kind of allows me to, to do my thing and travel and guide and still, you know, still make deadlines. And do you read all his work before you do a, do the painting or does he see your painting and work (laughs) around? Yeah, I get first crack at it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, I'm I'm sitting here looking at like the next year's worth of columns on my desk, <laughs> but it's 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 probably like the uh, uh, Academy Awards. I'm not allowed to I'm not allowed to give out the, any information. <laughs> you signed the non-disclosure. Yeah, right. That's it. So um, let's uh let's talk about your book. You have a a big book coming out, don't you? Yeah, a really big deal for me. Um, uh, this fall in October, uh, we're just wrapping it up right now. We're going back and forth with some final edits, but, uh, sometime this, this October, uh, Stackpole book, um, is going to publish a, a book of my, my artwork and, uh, selected essays that I've illustri- written and illustrated. And, um, yeah, I mean, I grew up looking at all of those books by, you know, Chet Renison and 
Eldridge Hardy and, and others and uh, kind of never really believed that uh, the day would come that I'd, I'd be able to contribute to that, uh, to that shelf on the library. So do you have an early copy of it now? Not yet. I'm going to get pages. Um, going to get pages this week, and uh, Lisa and I'll go over those and you know may, maybe make some small changes. The the team at Stackpole is incredible. They're so thorough. It's amazing. Um, I don't think there'll be much to change. Uh, maybe add add a few things to fill in some spaces. Uh, really, um, but uh, after that process is done, then they'll um, release some advance advanced copies, advanced re- review copies, and uh, I'll be able to to pass those out to some editors and get some feedback from them. So, you know, in the writing, would you be reading about, uh, to give us a little insight, um, we'll be describing the fishing or we'll be describing, you know, maybe the more of the art side of things? Well, it's, it's, it's going to be a good question. It's going to be a little different than most art books. Um, you know, it's, uh, so every image will, will have an anecdote which will tell about, you know, where this was and what happened and, and why it happened. And uh, those are always really, I think, um, you know, neat insights into the image and add to the complexity of the image. Um, so there'll be that, and there'll be some chapters uh, where um, I just write and talk about um, – uh, I, one that comes to mind is called Back to the Basics, and it's a it's a, sh- a short chapter, a couple thousand words of, you know, um, pencil drawing and um, how artists inevitably every artist starts uh, with a pencil in his hand at whatever age he or she picks it up, and then you know most people feel like they they graduate away from that and move towards paints, watercolors, or oils or acrylics, um, but I really enjoy working in pencil and and I think. Um, I think just, you know, a clean uh, piece of, of pencil work uh, is, is just as elegant as, as any painting. So I talk about, you know, what that's like and, and um, why pencil work is important and some of my favorite uh, artists who do that. And um, so there'll be those chapters. And then I think there'll be more sidebars, really. I, like I said, I haven't seen the book yet. And then there'll be um, a selection of essays. Um, uh, Stories about uh, time in Alaska, time in Argentina, um, taking a walk with uh, my daughter when she was four or five years old and what we found and uh, splitting firewood and, you know, training bird dogs. And uh, it's it's just sort of about more or less the life that, that we live. So how long does a project like this take? <laughs> That's a good question, too. Um, you know, um, I... I, I don't mean to be glib. It's it's sort of like when people ask me, well, how long does it take to 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 do that painting? <laughs> I like. There's a part of me that wants to say, well, this one took uh, 45 years because <laughs> it's kind of collection of everything, you know. It's um um so it's uh, oh gosh, it, it would be hard to say um, how long the process is. I guess the the formal process has been about uh, two years, and it's something I always wanted to do but never really thought it would happen uh, until my friend John, um, you know, really kind of pushed me. And, uh, you know, and I told him, I, you know, I don't know anything about writing or publishing a book. And he, he uh, turned me on to his literary agent um, and uh, we made contact and, and she's really, you know, the brains behind the operation. She 
helped us craft a, a proposal and then shopped it around to a lot of different publisher publishing houses and publishers and uh stackpole bit and um and now here we are it's been gosh it's been i think there's i think i've written about seventy five thousand words and there'll be over two hundred and fifty uh images in the book so I think it's it's supposed to be somewhere between 288 to 300 pages. So it'll be a substantial a substantial book. So is is it going to have uh like pictures that you've had prints done or is it all original stuff? Oh, well, it it's all so all of it'll be original work, um some some commissions uh commissioned work and some uh paintings I've done for myself and some illustrations that have appeared, you know, with John's work and other, other writers work. Um, um, some of those have been reproduced as, as limited edition prints and some haven't. Um, I believe there'll probably be an index somewhere at the, at the back of the book that'll, if someone sees an image that they like, you know, they can look it up and see if it's available as a print. Okay. But I, at last, I think there'll probably be about, hundred images in the book that are that have been published as prints. And if I've a, I was introduced to your artwork like seven, six, seven years ago on the Drake Forum uh, message boards. Um, for anyone that hasn't seen it, can you describe like what your medium, like what you like to paint? Sure. Um, well, I, I I paint a. One of the things I feel really good about is I I, I paint a lot of different things. Um, not just fish, not just birds, just not just hunting or fishing. You know, uh, there's everything from still life paintings um, of a duck dinner uh, to uh, close-ups of fish to people fishing, uh, birds in flight, um, still life with hanging birds, uh, upland hunting, waterfowl hunting. Um, you know, it's it's a wide range of stuff. But it all seems to circle around an outdoor lifestyle. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. And um, I think it's important that a painter paints what he or she knows. Um, I could. I'm, I'm probably talented enough at this point in the game that I could sit down and, and paint a, a vase of flowers. Um, but you know, that's not where my heart is. <laughs> um, what What I really love to paint is um, light reflected on water. Um, so um, that's I think the direction that I'll go in the next decade or two, or, or as long as I'm around, is um, just you know light reflected on water. Whether that's um, an evening sky uh, reflected on a meandering stream through a meadow, or uh, a morning sky on a duck marsh, or a nocturne, um, an evening late evening uh, landscape with a moon rising over a river. It just I just am enamored and sort of haunted by the way the sky is reflected on water and, and snow and, you know, and fish reflective surfaces. But I, I just like that, that aspect of, of what's around me in the real world. So do you find painting to be kind of in like the same vein as fly fishing where you kind of progress to certain levels and you find different things that kind of pique the interest and maybe even, you know, progress you further, or, you know, skill wise? Oh, is that, is yeah, that kind absolutely. of go hand that, hand? That's, a, that's a great analogy. I mean, you know, I, I can't recite it off the top of my head, like the five stages of fly fishing. You know, first you just want to catch a fish. 
then you want to catch a lot of fish, then you want to catch big fish, and then, you know, and then pretty soon it's not so much about the fish, it's more about the day and friends. And and uh, great analogy, painting is just like that. I mean, you you start off um, as, a, as a painter or as an artist, you know, just wanting to make it look real. <laughs> yeah, and then... Um, and then you master that and then you think, well, but, you know, what's the difference between this and a photograph? And, um, and gosh, you know, a lot of people are really, really good at making stuff look real, um, photographically real. Um, and then you, you know, then you think, well, what is it about this that I love? Well, it's, it's, you know, it's not that moment when the fish is jumping and the rod is, is, you know, arced. Um, it's more about, you know, standing on a river in the evening and looking at the river, trying to decide what fly to tie on. Um, you know, our days on the water or in the field are, are, um, hopefully they're long. And the time we spend actually with that leaping fish or the, you know, rising up to shoot a duck or a covey of quail, you know, erupting are, are just seconds of that day. And we all remember that, but I think there are richer images that you can pull from the experience, um, that you can remember the whole day in just that instead of just that instant. Absolutely. I <clears throat> Jay and I went fishing today and I had a brook trout chase a, a hopper. It took three seconds. But the rest of the day we just we hackled like Jekylls. Or you know, we we were <laughs> right. laughing and hooting and hollering and having fun. But that was exactly. three seconds was all that fish experience that I had today. Right. So. Right, exactly. You know, I mean, so I love to paint fish, right? I mean, um, and a lot of people do. Um, and I started a series years ago called One Last Look, where, um, you know, it's a, a pair of hands holding, cradling a fish. You know, it's being admired one last time before it's being, been, it's going to be released, obviously. And, um, you know, and, and then it kind of occurred to me at some point, you know, it's like they're, they're always big fish. They're always the fish of a lifetime. Um, they're perfect. Um, you know, how about the little guys? I mean, you know, like a, a 10 or 12 inch brown trout from the driftless here in Minnesota, or Wisconsin, that's sort of, you know, kind of flipped up on its back in the water and everything, all the colors are convoluted and, and mixing around it. And, and, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm leaning more towards painting, not the posed or perfect image, but sort of the the images that make up the bulk of the day. I I remember it's been a long time, but the the picture that sticks out to me the most that I've seen you paint, it was just a tin coffee cup sitting on a log, and I don't know if you remember it, but I know I do, and that's that's oh, what, yeah. what sticks out to me the most, and it it just describes everything. Yeah, and you know, again, that's the um, it, it really. I just I try to just kind of capture um, the moments from the days in the life that I live, and you know, um, and I'm always I'm always looking at the world around me through um, a painter's eyes. Um, you know, I, that particular day I was out in the in the backyard splitting firewood for the winter, and got out there early and it was kind of frosty and brought a pot of coffee and a cup and, and, uh, I'm splitting wood and I'm thinking, you know, that this is, this is, it doesn't seem like it, 
it's no great rocket science, but it seems worthy of a painting. And, you know, did some sketching, took some photographs and, uh, and it, and honestly, it's one of my favorite, favorite paintings too. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just those, again, it's those little things in the day that make up, uh, that make up our lives that I like to capture. So just a little, uh, a little question. Do you do a lot of photo- like, will you take a lot of pictures, bring them back and then, you know, draw on that? Or do you take just a lot of your mental notes and come back and how do you, you know, how do you, you don't make it, you don't draw, make a whole painting while you're out there, right? No, no. Well, it, it's a wide, it's a wide, it, it's inclusive of all of that. Um, I love to paint plein air, uh, or a la prima where, which means you're, you know, you're going to sit down and start and finish a painting in one session. And, um, I love to do that outside. Um, other times, um, you know, I have, a lot of my life has been spent guiding people and, you know, I just didn't, and don't have the luxury when I'm guiding to carry a sketchbook into our uh, uh, paint box and to interrupt the day so I can, you know, capture, try and, you know, capture 15 minutes worth of what's going on here. So I carry a camera and I use, I use my camera like a sketchbook. I might see, if, I might see just some very interesting reflections on the water and, you know, take half a dozen shots of reflections, or I might see, you know, the lay of the land is just a lovely composition. I might take some of that and, uh, you know, somebody tie and fly on or somebody pitching decoys out in a marsh. And I've always got ideas about what I want to paint. And then I, I go back to those photographs in my sketches and, and use those as visual clues to sort of build the composition. Um, I might like, I might be out with you guys and, and, uh, get a shot of the two of you fishing, but, um, you know, but it was kind of a gray day and it, and it just didn't, wasn't as interesting. So I might, I might change the day and, and, uh, you know, uh, look at photographs of, uh, clouds from a different day and, and reflections from a different day. And I, I'll mix that all up and, and, and make my own image out of a juxtaposition of all of those. So, do you have something you prefer, gray day or bright day? Um, or does it is a picture dependent? No, you know, I, I'm I'm drawn more and more to. I like that. Um, I'm I'm moving more and more towards um, early and late. So um, early morning or nocturnes, um, kind of um, moody, um, not a ton of detail, um, just more of a feeling. Um, you know, I think. I think, you know, well, I always tell people that when I grow up, I hope to, to be half as good as Russell Chatham, but I, I really admire <laughs> Russell Chatham's work and, you know, his ability to, to paint a mood, um, without detail. Um, it really just fields of, of color and light and, um, that, that are, that just can convey a ton of emotion to me. And I, I guess that's where I'm, I'm headed in that regard. So, you know, we were, you talked a little earlier about uh, getting, um, you know, uh, getting a lot of writing sent to you. Is that, and we just talked about how you put your pictures together. Is that how you, you'll get a piece of writing, you'll read it, and then, you know, take maybe, you know, things you've accumulated over time and put a picture together to that writing? Um, generally, so, you know, illustrating it. So I, I wear a lot of different hats um, while I'm in the studio. Uh, one is that of an illustrator and 
in that sense, uh, it's kind of what you described. You know, John sends me um, a column, and I read the column, and I try to distill uh, the meaning of his words into, you know, one or two sort of salient images, you know. Um, and, and, and I think John and I are, are, are very well matched in the sense that, you know, John doesn't write Homerically, and so I'm, I'm, I'm not called upon to create Homeric images. Um, his work is much more subtle and insightful, and it kind of allows me to, to do what I like to do, which is to, to create images that are uh, more subtle, uh, less dramatic, and, and more insightful. Um, but my job as an illustrator, uh, when I'm wearing that hat, is um, you know I need to I need to illuminate the meaning of of this story or this essay or column, and um, you know that can be very different from um, I've got a canvas I'm looking at right now in the studio um, that's just an aerial landscape from Alaska on a kind of a day where the storm clouds are being pulled away. <clears throat> it doesn't really. It doesn't really illustrate anything but the moment. Um, now, John could write a story about being up in a float plane and, and uh, what it was like to fly over that kind of landscape, and, and it would be a perfect illustration. But in some senses, I'm writing to the words, and other senses, other times, I'm, I'm just writing to the memory or to the moment, or painting, I guess I should say. How often can you paint a picture from memory? Can you paint people from memory, or do you have to see a person or yeah you know that's you guys good questions <laughs> um we've been researching <laughs> uh, oh, okay. well you know a lot of times it shows i'll be i love to paint in public at a like a fly fishing show and a lot of times people will come up and i'll have a photograph that i'm working from or a bunch of photographs i'm working from and um people come up and say, oh, you know, my grandma was a painter, but, but she painted from memory. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's really great. Great for her. Um, <laughs> but I, I really, I need, uh, I need, a, I need visual clues and cues to look at. Um, you know, if I'm, if I set my easel up outside on a hillside, looking over a stream, I've got something to look at that I can, that I can translate to the canvas. If I'm up in the studio, I've got to have those same visual cues. I can't really, you know, just just make it up. I, I think in some regard, um, people kind of think of artists or they imagine them as almost like magicians where, you know, they can just like create the stuff off the top of their head. And and maybe some maybe some artists can, but I've always I've always needed to have something to look at and uh, whether it's a photograph sometimes when I get stuck I'll um, I'll pull out some of my old paintings and look at older paintings and and there's just a there's just that moment in my brain when I'm what I see gets translated into an idea and then that idea gets conveyed onto the canvas but I visual visual cues whether they're photographs or sketches or being outside and painting plein air are all, you know, for me anyway, all necessary to what I do. I'm trying to go back in in my memory bank of of pictures I've seen of your that you've done. Do you do, you do many uh, pictures with flies in them? Um, I do a lot of, or I should say, I did. Um, there was a period uh, when I was painting primarily in watercolors um, 
when I did a lot of still lifes. Um, and basically what I do is I'd set up, um, I'd, or I'd, you know, I'd set up my, my fly tying bench, um, and kind of, you know, organize a box of flies here or, uh, some materials there. And maybe they were Atlantic salmon flies, maybe they're bass bugs, maybe they're trout flies. Um, so in, in that sense, yeah, I've, I've, I've painted a lot of flies over the years. Um, that's sort of become my, my signature remark, um, you know, on a print where I'll do a, a little original drawing um, just to give it a little added value. And, and generally, I've, I'd, I'd like to draw flies. And um, I, love, I, love, I love the old um, downwing wet flies, you know, the, like the Parmachini Bell and, and some of those older patterns. Um, um, so, yeah, I mean, flies have drawn, painting, uh, well, tying and fishing and painting flies have been a big part of, of my life. I, I remember one specific that you uh, that you did. It was for the Drake message board, uh, the the classic Atlantic classic fly salmon swap. Didn't you and uh, Rick Harrington both make a picture? Right. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, so he did a, um, I believe he did a steelhead, so West Coast um, sea run fish, and I did an Atlantic salmon East Coast sea run fish, and uh, and they were. Um, I think surrounded by a lot of uh, contributions from other board members, um, both steelhead flies on one side and Atlantic salmon flies on the other. Um, and I think that was auctioned off uh, as a benefit. Um, I, I think so. That, that was a favorite piece of mine. I love that little painting. <laughs> <laughs> so with something like that that is a favorite of yours, will you get a print made just for uh, yourself? Well, you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's another good question. Um, I, there are certain paintings that I'll finish, and um, uh, practically the paint's not dry, and Lisa will walk by and take it off the easel and say, we're not selling this one. <laughs> 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 and, and then there are other times where, you know, like um, I, I had a, a painting hanging in the living room that has been a favorite of ours for years. It's, it's our daughter's favorite. Um, and, well, I should say it was her favorite until somebody came over and and wrote a check for it a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> she woke up in the morning and came down and, and she said, where's my painting? And I was like, well, honey, I can do you another one. <laughs> so there are, there are some paintings that I just, I won't let go of. Um, and then there are some paintings that there have been some paintings that I've, I've uh, sold in the past that I kind of, if I could go back and undo that, I would, but you know, I mean, the, the bottom line is I've got a, I've got a, keep this train on the track and, and pay the bills. And, um, you know, sometimes that means selling, selling, uh, (laughs) selling one of your kids. (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, the nice thing is, uh, as I grow as a painter, I'm, you know, I, I feel like every painting is a little better and the painting that I'm actually the painting I described to you that is up here right now that I'm looking at is a redo of that painting for my daughter. Um, (laughs) But she knows that if if somebody wants to buy this, I'll just do her another one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, we had an artist on the show re, or prior. I forget who it was, but they said they can't afford to collect their own art. Oh yeah, yeah. well it it, it might have been from my last interview with you guys. I think um, it was. I, I tell I tell people that all the time. <laughs> you know, I just I can't I can't afford to collect my own art, except when Lisa tells me that 
that there's no other option. <laughs> well, she's the boss, right? And then, yeah. I mean, there's, there, there are some paintings that will just never leave uh, the home and, uh, and, and that's great. I mean, good for her to, to have, it's kind of nice when your wife has, uh, have, has favorites and, and just doesn't want to let them go. So, well, she obviously has I good taste if she's a Bob White fan, right? <laughs> well, let's hope. <laughs> so, uh, let's, let's get into a little bit of fish and talk, Bob. Sure. Okay. Um, you hosted the musky madness this year. Right. Yeah. Um, in, in the last so, couple of years, right? Yep. Um, up here in, in our neck of the woods, uh, northern Wisconsin. Um, and this, we have, uh, we started this, I guess, about, um, oh, eight years ago. And uh, I was asked, I had never, I'd fished for muskie, but I'd never guided it. And I was asked uh, by a friend of mine, Kip Veith, who's a, a local guide. Um, he was putting on a muskie, like a, I don't want to say tournament. It's just a, it's a, like a event, you know, guys get together and fish and, and he needed a guide and he talked me into it. And, uh, I had never done it before. I, I never guided for muskie. I'd, I'd caught him and I'd fish for him, but you know, I kind of felt a little bit like a poser. And, uh, we got, I was fishing on the upper Mississippi and it was kind of a twisty, windy route to the river. And we got the boat launched and, um, it was blowing, I don't know, 20 miles an hour and uh put the boat in the river and and uh started being blown uh up river and i thought it was the current and uh so i started fishing the boat up river and uh the two young guys i was with oh they're you know in their early 20s and uh after about 100 yards one of them said you know <clears throat> excuse me but uh shouldn't we be fishing down river <laughs> i said oh we are it's just windy and and then he said, well, you know, if you look at the leaves in the water, under the water, they're going the wrong way. <laughs> and I what do you do? You know, I looked at him and I said, you know, you're right. And then the other brother looks at me and says, have you ever guided before? <laughs> it's like, well, no, I haven't. This is my first time guiding muskies. And uh, we got back that night to the, to the lodge and I could see them kibitzing with their father and after a a while he came over and said, you know, maybe you and I should fish together tomorrow. Uh, you know, he was just taking one for his kids, right. Going out with the inexperienced guide. And, um, and wouldn't, you know, at the next day he landed his first, uh, muskie and my first guided muskie and it was 50 inches. And, uh, he had another one at the end of the day that was in the mid thirties. Um, and we had, I think we had nine fish on that day. So, you know, a blind squirrel can find a nut once in a while. So how'd those young punks do that day? Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't really care. <laughs> I don't remember, to be honest with you. <laughs> we kind of came in and lowballed it and let everybody tell their stories, and then we got, got the camera out and started showing pictures <laughs> in, in typical fisherman fashion, right? That's awesome. But so that was the, that was the, that's what started Musky Madness. I, I kind of fell in love with it, and... um you know, Lisa and I decided, well, you know, let's let's try doing our own thing. And uh, we started on the Upper Mississippi, and we did that for a couple of years, and uh, and then just decided that, um, you know, a lot of people go on that trip not necessarily to catch the biggest muskie of their life, but maybe to catch the first their first muskie on a fly. Um, and so we we transitioned over to uh, Wisconsin, where there are just a, a bigger number of fish. Um, 
but perhaps not not as big. I mean, there are big fish, but um, I think uh, John caught his first big muskie was like 48 inches, and we've caught 50-inch fish over in the water we fish, but um, but there's just more of them. So, you know, people are more likely to come back at the end of the day and have had a couple of follows or an eat or maybe a fish landed. And you have uh, some some relatively reputable guides that come in a uh... Work at this also. Oh right? yeah, well I'm, I'm you know I'm 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 lucky in that I've got a lot of friends who are are good guides and um, not to say that th- these guys are the best or that there aren't other uh, guides that are just as good or better. You know how fishing guides get about that. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but but these guys are some these guys are are really some great guides and I mean I I I don't have any problem saying they're you know some of the best guides in the Upper Midwest and uh, they really. They really love the event. It's become sort of a a high a high high point of their season and a high point of of our year. And it's almost like family getting back together. We we rent this old um, this old speakeasy uh, Chippewa River Lodge uh, back in Prohibition. It was a it was a speakeasy, and it's got a really cool old bar with a stone fireplace and a rec room. It's you know got that lodge feel to it, and uh, and I think everybody enjoys the camaraderie and the meals and, you know, the, the yucks and the, and the laughs and stories as much as, as the fishing itself. And, uh, yeah, it's not uncommon for people to just get a couple hours sleep <laughs> before, you know, it. it's, it's time to have breakfast and go fishing again. This sounds like my kind of event. How, how does a guy from Western Pennsylvania get invited to this? <laughs> oh, well, it, it's, uh, man, it's, um, uh, we try to we try to get it out there. It's on our website um, at Musky Madness, and um, I, it, on the on the website there's a a, a section uh, sporting travel, and uh, it's one of I think it's one of four or five different sort of hosted events that we hold uh, that I hold or we hold every year. We have two or three in Alaska. Um, we've got um, Musky Madness here in Wisconsin, and uh, a trip that we that we host in Argentina every winter. Actually, uh, a good friend of ours, Dan Frazier, he's, this is the first oh, year he yeah. said, yeah, he, I love that dude. <laughs> he said this is the first year he's missed, and he was really bummed. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, we miss Dan. He's a, he's, he is kind of a part of the institutional, you know, feel of the, of the trip. He's a fun guy to be with. Um, we fish together. Lots of different places, um, Midwest, out out in South Dakota for carp. Uh, took a trip to Cuba together. Uh, he's just a great guy to spend time with. Um, and uh, you know how you know how fishing is, and musky fishing is just um, amplifies it all. Um, he came up a couple of years ago with his brother, um, who had never fly fished for musky. And the first day out, he caught two, and one was a 50 incher, and and then he came down with the flu. So he fished one day, had the biggest fish in camp for the weekend. <laughs> I think, you know, and spent the next two days in, in bed um, being served chicken soup by Lisa. <laughs> serves serves him right. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's what big fish get you. <laughs> exactly. So uh, how many people would normally do end up going on that every year? So we have, we we typically... Well, we have 12 fishermen, so six guides, um, um, you know, all my friends from around here. Um, 
So we have six guides, six boats, 12 fishermen. One of those we, we, uh, kind of reserve as kind of a celebrity guest. Um, we've had John Gearock uh, for a number of years has been the guest on that. Um, I'm in the process of finding one for this year. Um, and so we have every day, whoever our celebrity guest is, will fish with a different fisherman. Um, and, um, and then I, I, I float my boat and take my, my son, Jake, who's, uh, 30 and uh he and i and and a photographer a friend of ours mike dvorak or our um jordan stocker um will you know follow boats during the day and and try and get some shots and and we throw a few flies too um and there's you know nothing wrong with being uh the second or even third boat down the river it doesn't mean you're not going to catch any fish sometimes you end up doing better so it's yeah it's a mix of 12 fishermen, six guides, and, and uh, my son Jake and I, and, and a photographer. That sounds like a hell of a time. Oh, it is, man. It's like so much fun. It's it's really, like I said, it's kind of the high point of, of the year for us. Do you get to do much other musky fishing besides that? Oh, yeah. I mean, the St. Croix, I live right, you know, two, two or three blocks from the river, and, and there's some great musky fishing just right in town here. I mean, I can go down to the little brook trout stream that flows into the St. Croix um, behind the general store. And, you know, I know there are fish out there. I haven't touched one there yet, but I've had follows. So yeah, I can, I can literally go down for a gallon of milk and take my fly rod with me and, and cast for half an hour or so. So you can, you you can get gas, catch a brookie and a muskie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it works out pretty good. That's the all American <laughs> dream right there. No, <laughs> works out pretty good. That my friends call. Yeah. Me well, you know, America. it's like you guys probably this isn't news to you probably, but you know, this part of the Midwest is really a fly fisherman's uh, heaven. I mean, it's hard to believe that people, and I'm not knocking other places, but it's hard to believe that people from the Midwest would drive out to Montana or Idaho or Wyoming to fish when. They've got, you know, really great fishing, you know, 45 minutes from their from their front door. I know. Jay's going all the way to Yellowstone this summer. And we went brook trout fishing today. We're going musky fishing next Monday. Sm- oh, cool. Small moss right around the corner. And Jay's going all the way to freaking Yellowstone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the grass is always greener, right? <laughs> I just figured, you know, bucket list type of thing. Might as well uh, check it off before, you know. So I mean, I'm, I'm a young guy. you fishing, Jay? I don't know exactly where we're going to fish it. I've been doing a, trying to do a bit of research before I uh, head my way out there. And uh, a couple of Mark's uh, high school friends have been out that way, and they've been giving me uh, some good information on places they went and did very well and some, like, small cuts, cutthroat type of streams. And I'd like right. to try to – I don't know. I'm probably too late on this, but I don't know. I'm going to try to talk to some people and maybe get a guide out there on one of the main streams, maybe the Madison or the Yellowstone yeah, well, itself. Um, I've got a lot of friends who work and guide out of uh, Sweetwater Fly Fishing in Livingston, and they—they they, even if you don't hire a guide, they'd be—they'd be good people to talk to about what's going on. Awesome. Well, there you go. when we all get off the air, we'll, you know, trade some information. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. <laughs> awesome. Yes. I'm, so, I'm afraid of bears. That's. Have you ever been out there? I'm, I'm terrified. <laughs> oh, have I been out there? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've spent a little time, but you know, um, it's, it's funny. Um, I started guiding Alaska in 1984 and you know, I, I 
head up north in in mid May and come back in mid or end of September or even October some years. And so I don't have a lot of experience fishing out west. Um, I, you know, a lot of times people, a lot of times people will ask, you know, where should I go out in Montana? And it's like, God, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, I've never caught a cutthroat, for example. I've just, I've, I've spent so many summers in Alaska. I just never had the opportunity to catch a cutty. So, um, I've, I've, I've done a lot of things in a few places, but I haven't, I haven't done a lot of stuff out West or, or East coast or Southeast. Like, and I know there's a lot of great water to cover. There is, but there's only so much time and you can only make so many casts at so many different fish, you know? Right. If, if you're caught up with the smallmouth and the muskie and the, the Midwestern vibe, it's hard to break yourself away from it. Absolutely. And, you know, um, I don't know. I, smallmouth, well, muskie intrigued me because it's just such a d- adrenaline rush to have, you know, something that you'd be afraid to be in the water with chasing a fly up to the boat. And he doesn't give up, you know, a rat's ass about um, you or the boat or anything else. He just wants to eat. But um, smallmouth, just I find super interesting and intriguing. Um, you know, we all, well, not all of us, but a lot of us are throwing, you know, big flies and, you know, I mean, big poppers and, and streamers and stuff. And and I, I sort of wonder, you know, what, what would happen if you approached a smallmouth stream like a trout stream? And, you know, you fished it upstream, wading through riffles and, you know, um, nymphing and and um you know fishing it just kind of affording them the same respect as you would a trout um i can't help but think that you know that would that would make for a really interesting day you would absolutely slaughter fish i would think so um you know and and this is nothing new i mean there are all kinds of of people have written about smallmouth fishing and um you know and approaching it you know a little bit less casually more thoughtfully um so it's nothing new but it's it, it's just an intriguing fish for me. I really I really like them and and uh, man they're pretty and boy they they can fight. And uh, when you get into them, when you find them and get the formula, you know that generally you're you're pretty busy for the day. And it's just so much fun to throw streamers at them because they're yeah they're, they're always pissed off, you know. Yeah, and I I love fishing um, topwater stuff. You know whether you know whether. Um, just swinging mice. I mean, it, it's amazing how effective just swinging mice can be for smallies. Mm, we're doing that. Do, we're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> we're doing Especially that. right at the evening. I, yeah. And you know what? Like with areas like we live and your, your climate's the same. I mean, once you learn to embrace the climate changes, you so look forward to each change and what it brings fishing-wise. And like I can speak from I, – I, I had a great musky year. But I cannot wait for smallmouth. Mm-hmm. I drop the musky rod in a heartbeat to go through a smallie fly right now. That's always a tough one for for, for my friends and I. You know, we'll, well, we feel the same way. Um, we love them both, and and I, I really love smallmouth like you. Um, but you know, darned if you know if we we make a pack between us. You know, okay, we're just fishing smallmouth today, and it's like. Yeah, but we probably should bring a musky rod. But, but <laughs> and some, then someone keister. And then you have a musky trying to eat a smallmouth <laughs> off of your fly, and it's like, okay, now we're musky fish. <laughs> but uh, unlike us, you probably have a closed musky musky season, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, we so, 
do you do you have an open musky season? Yeah, we we get to fish musky substantially oh, longer. Man. So like <laughs> our our smallmouth season's real short for us. It's some it's oh, really? summer it's summer Does it's it summertime to do with spawning, like uh, limits well, because of spawning. You, our our biggest issue is is the actual like flowage that we mainly fish. It's dang near unfishable all winter long. So I mean, with how high the flows are and how cold the water is, you're never going to effectively fish them. So right. we end up fishing musky all winter long because the musky fishing is great. And trout. And trout. Yeah. And trout. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But that's really Man, that's our, our awesome. main good, fishery good for, for the winter. But once smallie season starts heating up, you know, it's end of March coming into April. I mean, we're we're ramped and ready. So so with with climate change, with it getting warmer, that's kind of amping up the muskies for more of the year. Is that what's mm. happening? This rear was ridiculously good. Yeah, Mark did real well this winter. <laughs> ridiculously <laughs> good. How many have you had the hand oh. since January 1? Since what, January, I've landed four. He's landed four since January, so. No, kidding? I yeah. mean, even oh, like back in October through, I mean, yeah, it's just been, it's been really good. That's great. That's great. Um, I'm ashamed to say that I don't know what your home water is. Where where do you guys fish? You don't have to give me any, any names. No, but. we're we're from western Pennsylvania. I mean, so we fish any uh, of that. Hour south of Erie, hour north of Pittsburgh. Yep, any of that. Any wow. Of that. Wow, that's great. Good for you guys. Yeah, man. It, the the variety around here is awesome. Uh, have you gotten a carp at all? Um, I have. Uh, with Dan Fraser. <laughs> uh, what's he now? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> that son of a gun, man. He's got it wired. If you want to catch carp, he's he's the guy you want to go with. I mean, there are other good carp fishermen, but he is he's just got a passion and a feel for it. I'll tell you what, I'll, I've told this story on here before, but I'll tell it again, not to it. Uh, I have a pond across the street from the house, and for 23 years, I've never caught a carp out of it. I see them, I can't get them to hit. I called Dan up, I said, Dan, what am I doing wrong? He he walked me through a fly to tie, I walked up to the house, tied right. a fly, walked back down, saw another carp, I cast at it, it ate. I landed at the picture, I said, Dan, you're a, you're, you're a miracle worker. <laughs> You're a genius. Oh man! How do I make he more really money, is. Dan? <laughs> he couldn't answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> he really is, and you know, I think um, I think one of the lessons I've learned about carp fishing from Dan is that you know people say, "Well, what's a good carp fly?" and and Dan's go-to response is, "Well, what, what are they eating?" <laughs> you know, in some habitats they're eating nymphs, in other habitats they're chasing gobies, you know, bait fish or. Uh, bottom feeders and other places they're eating um you know raspberries falling or mulberries falling off trees so you know he'd be the first to tell you there's just there's not a perfect or right fly for carp it's just like trout fishing you got to kind of match what they're eating and and think think of them as you know intelligent fish um yeah he's a he's a whiz he sure is do you, do you get into him much in your area um, you know, I've got some great carp fishing right here on the St. Croix, um, that I haven't really utilized yet, but I've got some friends, uh, well, actually some Drake guys, um, who, um, we've got kind of a plan to go out and explore that. Um, it's a big labyrinth of, of back channels and bays and sandy and muddy bottoms and springs and, um, I've seen carp in there. I do a lot of duck hunting down there, and, and um, 
you know, I've, I've had, <laughs> I've had carp get tangled up in my decoy cords and pull my decoys around the marsh. So I know they're there. So do you leave them on and let them pull the decoys around? So it makes like, look like a live decoy. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not a bad idea, except that, um, I hate, I've, I've got a lot of, um, decoys that were made for me or that I've made. And I, you know, I live in terror of, you know, one of those, one of those carp dragging that thing off around the corner and disappearing with it. <laughs> So you make your own decoys? Yeah, yeah, I carve. I'm not. I'm. I'm no great shakes. I don't. Um, you know, it, the decoys I make are, are working decoys. They're not. Um, they're not. Uh, you know, feathered or, or highly detailed. They're just kind of. They're you know, flies working. to catch fish. Yeah, yeah. So once you get a, a decoy all carved out and shaped up, who do who do you take it to to paint it? Oh, you know, I've got friends. <laughs> I got a guy. I'll tell you what, painting a decoy on a canvas is a lot easier than painting one holding it in your hand, though. Is it really? Yeah, uh, there's a lot to, you know, it's it's not a flat surface. And so, you know, trying to get symmetrical, uh, like, you know, lines, you know, that are one side or the other, they're the same when they're viewed from above. Um, it can be a little tricky, but uh, but it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. And uh the older I get, like I, you know, just like we were talking with painting and, and fly fishing, it's, um, for me, it's more about the total experience and having six decoys that were made by friends or, you know, uncles or friends' fathers and one or two of mine and, and shooting a couple less ducks doesn't, doesn't bother me at all. I'd rather have it that way. Um, so what's your main, I completely blanked, what's your um, main duck you're hunting then? Mallards and wood ducks or, you know, something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, early season, you know, woodies and blueing teal and uh, okay. and mallards. And then late season, uh, mallards and, and the odd diver. Um, sometimes we get, sometimes we get a push of black ducks and, and canvasbacks, um, ringbills. Uh, but we're not. You you would think on a river that it would be good diver habitat, but there's just not a lot of food on the river. Um, all the wild rice is, is sort of gone uh, because of fluctuations of flows with because of dams. So we get, divers will come t- through for a couple of days, but they're they're headed down to the Mississippi down by Red Wing. I think they just kind of pass through. So we we get a day or two where we see them, but mostly it's it's puddle ducks. And you're harvesting to eat, or using for feathers, or well, both. That's one of the nice things about about doing both is, um, yeah, I use a lot of a lot of uh, feathers from birds that I that I nice. harvest. But um, uh, I love to I love wild duck roasted, yeah. roasted, um, smoked, brine smoked and roasted wild duck is some of the best uh, eating you can have. Ah, nice. So, do you save any wild roasted duck for uh, for the musky madness? <laughs> nope. Oh. <laughs> You don't want to feed no. those heathens the the delicacy. <laughs> Lisa Lisa does all the cooking for for musky madness. I, I don't. I think if and the process of, it's like a three day process to cook these ducks. Um, so I don't know that it would work for you know for that number of guys. I don't even know if it would be legal to serve wild game at a. I guess yeah. We I guess there. I'm going there to a ways, game dinner. Different ways to look week. at it, but I don't. I don't know. I'm going to a game dinner next week. You should be oh, able to serve well, it. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Um, so let's uh let's talk about your uh, your latest Argentina trip. Sure. What um what do you do down there? Are you you trout fishing? 
Yeah, um, exactly. So I, I started guiding down in Argentina back in, uh, I think my first winter down there was 1985. And, uh, Lisa and I were looking at passports the other day. And I think, I think I've been down there about 45 times in the last 35 years. Um, and I just love, love fishing down there. I love the people. Um, I met a family when I was a, you know, a, a new guide down there and, uh, they owned a big ranch and had a wonderful river that runs through it. And, and they sort of took me under their wing and became a second family for me. And, um, we just go back every year. It's, it's, for me, it's like going home for Christmas and seeing, you know, your uncles and your cousins and people that you don't get to see as much as you'd like. That's amazing. <laughs> that sounds awesome, man. Jay and I were oh, just... It, it, uh, it, it really, it is. It's, it is amazing, and it's, and it's, I'm really kind of the luckiest guy I know in that regard to have met these people and, and count them as family. Jay and I were just doing some math while you were telling that story. We were two the first time you went to Argentina. <laughs> oh, man, you're making me feel old. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> like, guiding two years well, before like, me. Well, just, you know. <laughs> sorry. I love, you know, you love, we love talking to guys with, you know, you, you have a, experience. Yeah, experience. I mean, we haven't, we haven't even been alive. You've been experienced in fly fishing, you know, as long as we've been alive. And it's, it's great to get to talk to guys like you who, you know, and you really obviously uh, enjoy the real great parts of fly fishing which are the friends and the good times oh yeah and more and more every year for sure yeah nothing more genuine than living it firsthand and having that experience to talk about and i think and, and i think that's um you know any success i have with my artwork i think um has to do with that same thing it's you know having firsthand experience and then just um kind of conveying conveying that or translating that onto canvas, creating an image, you know, from, from that experience. So in Argentina was the target, you know, brown and rainbow trout or what was, what were you guiding? Oh, out um, yeah. It's, so it's, it's trout fish and there is a local, uh, you know, native fish called a perca, which looks like kind of a cross between a smallmouth and a walleye. Um, and, and they can be fun. Uh, I think they've been, I think it's safe to say that they've been, kind of bullied out or pushed out by the trout, you know, over the last 50 years or however long they've been there. Um, but when they were introduced, but we're, we're fishing. Well, I'll back it up a little bit. When you fly into San Martin de los Andes, which is where we fly into, you look out the window as you're, as you're landing and you'd swear that you were landing in Bozeman. Um, it's the same, you know, same kind of feel, the same kind of plants, a bunch of guys uh, with handlebar mustaches. <laughs> well, maybe minus, maybe minus the big belt buckles. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it looks just like, and it's just it's it's like being out west, but without a lot of the crowd and um, the fishing. You know, people always ask me, you know, like, well, how would you compare fishing Montana and Argentina and you know, I don't have a lot of experience out west, but um, I've been out there and had some just banner days where it's incomparable to anything. And uh, and I've been in Argentina where I've had some tough days of fishing. Um, so, you know, what I tell people is it's like fishing out west, um, but maybe 30 or 40 years ago um, without a lot of the crowds. And, um, you know, I mean, 
the days of no-brainer fishing uh, are, are over, I think, um, unless you get in just to a perfect hatch or something like that. But but I, I kind of like the challenge of, you know, working a tough fish. Um, but the neat thing is in Argentina is you can generally find a big cagey old tough fish to work. Um, and some days that's a little tougher here in the Midwest or, or perhaps out West where there's just a lot of crowds. Are you still guiding while you're down there or? No, no, I can't. Um, uh, they, you know, I think now in order to guide in Argentina, you, you have to be a resident and you've got to have a guide's license. And I think it's, um, specific to the province, like it is for us out West, you know, you've got to have an Idaho guide license or a Montana or Wyoming. You just can't, you know, put your boat in the water. So, um, Lisa and I assemble a group, um, and we travel down with them, spend some time in Buenos Aires and have some fun there and then, um, get to the ranch and, uh, she and I will go out with a different, uh, couple or, you know, buddies, um, each day. So we get to fish with, you know, each, each pair at least one day during the week. And, and, um, you know, we'll just kind of fish with them and I'll help the guides out, um, get the gates and, and Lisa and I get a few hours every day. We'll sneak off up river, down river, opposite direction where the guides going and, and fish for, you know, a few hours and, and get our, get our, our rods bent and, and get some smiles on our faces. And it's, so it's kind of a, it's a, it's a fun working vacation for us. So you've mentioned Lisa quite a bit, uh, helping you out and with the musky madness and with the Argentina, does she enjoy fly fishing as much as you do? Oh yeah. Yeah. She grew up on a dairy farm just South of the twin cities and, um, uh, with a, a sister and a bunch of brothers. So, you know, she grew up in a fishing and hunting family and, uh, we both at different times, um, worked together at, uh, fly shops and sporting goods stores here in, in Minneapolis. There used to be a, a chain called Burger Brothers and, uh, she worked at one and I worked at the other and we had mutual friends and, and that's in fact how we met. We got set up on a blind date by, by by our friends at Burger Brothers. Um, but she, you know, so I, I describe it, our relationship this way. Um, I push paint and words around on paper, and then she takes that and figures out how to pay the bills with it. Um, so she's, she's the brains behind in the, in the business. She's, you know, does all the marketing and um, all of the accounts receivable and payable and shipping and taxes. And, you know, she manages that, uh, works on the, the, has the website running and, publishes the newsletters and all of that stuff. So you're the mule and she's the person riding the mule. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's one way to look at it. <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't do it without her. I mean, I'm very I'm very uh, lucky in that regard. And um yeah, she does all the cooking at Mus- Musky Madness and and we go to Argentina together and uh not so much Alaska. We worked we worked in Alaska uh, together for seven summers. And actually, we were married at the lodge where we worked um, by the, the owner of the lodge. Um, so she's 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 earned her earned her chops. I mean, she's earned her bones, broken her bones. Awesome, man. So, um, hey, back back down south to Argentina. Are you guys mm-hmm. walking and wading, or is it uh, drift boats? What's the uh, what's the situation looking it, like? It's a little bit of everything. Um, 
So the ranch that we are on, um, the lodge is San Huberto. It's on the Mijeo River, and there's about 20, 22 miles of of wadeable river in the in the ranch property, and then there's a about maybe half that much, or yeah, maybe half that much of a spring creek that comes in, Freestone Spring Creek, that dumps into the Mijeo, and that's all wading. Um, and then there's the lake, which is the source of the river, is on the border with Chile, and we've got a couple boats stashed up there, and that's that's really an amazing uh, experience. It's it's lake fishing, but it's not what you'd think. It's not sink tips and streamers, although it, that would be deadly. But um, when we're there, it's um, fishing the reed beds with dragonfly imitations, or um, floating along a cliff with overhanging trees and spotting cruising fish uh, that are looking for terrestrials or, or aquatic insects and, you know, sight fishing to, to fish. It's all floating lines and uh, either dragonfly imitations or um, terrestrials. So and, it's, and some of the biggest fish we catch come from the lake. And those uh, are Lisa primarily brown? loves the lake. That's her favorite. And then we also do some drift boat fishing on um, the Illumine River. Uh, the Majel runs into the Illumine and we've got a couple of uh, drifts on that river that are, are pretty spectacular as well, particularly when the inchworms are are eating the willow trees along the river and falling in. The trout, just it's like candy for them. They can't resist it. So do you tie mop flies to imitate the inchworms? Um, <laughs> I've never fished a mop fly, but I'm sure they would work. Um the guys that the guides down there, some of those guides have been on on that water for 15. Well, some of them are guys that I used to guide with when I guided down there in the old days. Um, and um, we've started fishing our inchworm patterns um, subsurface, um, like as a dropper um, on a like a hopper or something like that. Um, so, I think a I think a mop fly would be great. I, I just haven't tried it. I don't know that it's really caught on down there yet. In the in the lakes, when you're fishing for with the with the dragonflies, are those primarily mm-hmm. the brown trout that are cruising? Or are you catching uh, rainbows cruising like that too? It's funny. The lake is the well. So in the river and the lake, you have uh, browns, rainbows, and brook trout. Um, but the majority of the brook trout that I've caught down there over the years have come from the lake, and there seem to be specific areas. Uh, that they like. I don't know if it has to do with, you know, springs coming up from the bottom or a creek coming in, you know, or, or what. But the brookies tend to hang around the reed beds, and um, and when the dragonflies are hatching, everything hangs around the reed beds. Um, so it's not uncommon to get a, you know, a grand slam, um, a brown, a, a rainbow, and a brookie in a day. So you're just ending up basically fishing them like you would the smallmouth back in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We're just kind of doing a set up a drift and drift with the wind along the uh, the reed bed, and you know the fish will show themselves. They'll come up and swirl, or you know sometimes they'll come out of the water and take uh, dragonflies in midair, and then you just you know kind of put your fly in that area, you know, kind of trying to determine which direction that fish is going and and present it to them and and uh, give it a little twitch every once in a while, and and it. Uh, it can be it can be really exciting and really uh, really deadly. You have to, uh, pretty long cast, or are you having to stay away? Is the water really clear in the lake? 
You know, it depends on the day. Um, the perfect day on a lake like that um, is a little bit of chop uh, because it hides the boat from in the fly line and the, the casting from the fish. The kiss of death is a, just in, a, a dead calm day, mirror surface. You know, the kind of day you'd think it'd be perfect, um, but it, the fish are a little spookier and, well, they're a lot spookier. And, you know, the boat will spook them or even the fly line landing on the water. And they might not bolt off, but they kind of go into a defensive posture and, and are just a little less likely to, to feed. Huh. So let, let's do a total 180 and go way north from Argentina. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and do some uh, some Alaska talking. So Yeah, well, that's where I that's where I cut my teeth. I mean, that's where I started guiding. Um back in, in in 1984 was my first year up there and uh um yeah I, I I worked as a as a counselor in South Minneapolis uh doing group counseling and group therapy, family therapy and um vocational therapy with, uh, with inner city kids and particularly a lot of, of native American families and kids, just because of, you know, that's, that's sort of the area where they, they are in the city. And I did that for a couple of years and, you know, it seemed like the only friends I had were other counselors or, are you know, and all they wanted to talk about were their, their kids and their problems. And so I took a job at this, at the sporting goods shop at the fly shop, um, and uh, one thing led to another, and I had a bad day in the office and ended up in Alaska. Um, and so that's that's where I started out. I kind of blocked my way into the job, um, heard about a position, wrote a, a glowing resume with a lot of um, a lot of loopholes in it, and uh, the guy who owned the lodge believed it and gave me a shot, and then I learned on the fly. Um, it's a it's a it's quite a place, and. Um, you know, I've, I've, I have kind of a, a, a interesting perspective on it because I've I've been there for so long, um, and it's changed, um, and and not all for the bad. Um, some some of the changes that have occurred over the last thirty five years are, are really positive, at least in my my mind. So, what are some of those positive changes? Well, um, so you know, in the old days. Uh, I guided on a river, the Agulapak River, um, which is sort of central um, to a lot of lodges. So a lot of a lot of lodges use it, and it can get it can get a lot of traffic. And most of the guides will fish the top mile of the river, um, and then walk the boat down and and jet back up and walk down again. In the old days, I had four flies that I used: uh, uh, a woolly booger. Well, actually, it was a woolly worm because it was pre-woolly booger. A woolly worm, um, a size 10 royal wolf, a size 8 or 10 hare's ear that we swung like streamers because it was pre-strike indicator, and um, and different flavors of marabou, marabou muddlers. And if you weren't catching fish, you just added a little weight and got it down a little deeper. And now those rivers are fished um, with midge pupa, 6 and 7X, um, you know, and really, really can be challenging, uh, fishing. So the days of the no brainer fishing, you know, where, you know, you can you hear stories about people throwing a cigarette butt in the river and, and trout fighting over it, you know, those days are gone. Um, so it's, you're catching, you're catching big fish. Um, it's, it's a lot more challenging. Um, 
and and that's okay for me. <laughs> you know, you're not catching as many fish. Maybe some days you do, of course, but um, so it's a little more challenging, um, more rewarding. Um, the guides are much better than they ever were up in Alaska. Um, when I started, the only thing you needed to guide in Alaska was a a buck knife and a buffalo plaid shirt and a pulse. And uh, <laughs> and now the guides up there have you know, geez, a lot of them work off seasons in the Keys or south america um you know they guide professionally and uh they've they're you have to be a coast guard captain to guide in alaska now so they're all you know coast registered coast guard captains either six pack or uh oupv which is a remote western western alaska water license but you know it's the guides are better here the accommodations are better because um fishermen expect more um from the from the experience now and if you want to be competitive as a lodge owner you've got to you know you've got to have some of the amenities that people like um travels easier you know more flights more options so you know it's changed um but i'm not sure that it hasn't changed uh, it for the better in a lot of ways you had mentioned your four flies that you had yeah so how how big's the uh the suitcase of fly fly box now Oh man, you know, I went through a phase, <laughs> it's, it's, I've got more flies in a garbage truck, but, um, but I hardly use, hardly use them that many of them anymore. Um, you know, as I evolve as a fly fisherman, I've, I've, I've kind of gone that path or that route where, uh, presentation is probably as, as important as fly choice. Um, if it looks close to what they're feeding on, um, I can generally make it work. Now, you know, there are times where, particularly in the driftless area of Wisconsin and Minnesota, where you've got to have, you know, a pretty good imitation of what they're feeding on. And your friend can have a slightly different pattern and just be stacking them up and, um, and you know, you're, you're going fishless. And uh, so while I think there is a lot of value in having all the different flies and sizes and colors, um, I just... I don't know. I'm kind of becoming more simplistic as I get a little older. And what do you think about the bead game up there? About the what? The bead game. Do you get into oh, that at well, all? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's another great question. Um, so we're here for Good you know, questions. It's kind of like the kind of like what I was saying before about um, you know I have to wear a lot of different hats up in the studio if I'm illustrating. I've got a responsibility to produce an image that you know, fits that story, illuminates a story. If I'm guiding, um, my responsibility is to, is to make sure that the fisherman's agenda is met. So if that means, you know, catching a ton of fish, uh, when sockeyes are dropping eggs, you know, you can, you can fish a bead under indicator and, and give them an incredible day of catching a lot of fish. Um, if they're, into something a little more challenging, you know, we can swing mice, uh, even during the egg drop and, and catch fish. So as a, as a guide, I'm, I'm fine with fishing beads, um, and giving clients what they, what they came for. Um, personally, myself, a little bit of that goes a long way. Um, and I, I might fish a bead once in a while, but I probably will fish it without an indicator and try and sight fish to, to fish like you would with an, you know, a, a nymph without an indicator. 
Um, but most times I'll fish something different, a dry or a, um, you can't really swing a streamer when the sockeye are spawning because you'd be snagged up all the time. But I, li- I love swinging mice, and I'll do a little bit of that. But the long story short, um, I don't I don't have a problem with it, and I've done I've done it for a long, long time. And I can tell you that I've never deep hooked a trout uh, with a bead rig. Um, you're you know you're hooking them on the outside of the mouth, um, on the outside of the lips, and um, some people will call that snagging. Um, I suppose, you know, depending on your, on your definition, it can be. Um, but I can tell you that the mortality of those fish is a lot less than fishing a, a nymph or, a, or even a dry fly where they're going to inhale it, take it down deep, and then you've got you know, to cut your fly off, let them go, or sometimes they'll just come in and they're, they're bleeding already. So it has its pros and its cons. It has its, its fans and its detractors. Um, I guess it just depends on what hat I'm wearing. Yeah, I'm totally with you, man. I I totally agree with you about the morta- mortality rate on the fish with the bead rig. It, it's better, I think. It's not snagging. They hit it. <laughs> it's not snagging. Yeah, they hit the. They hit the bead. They hit the bead. They're taking the bead. Yeah, you know, the they're bead. they're in, and you can watch them take the bead. Oh, yeah. um, detractors will say that yeah, but then you're pulling the bead out of their mouth and hooking them on the outside of the mouth with uh, hmm. with the fly. Oh, what um, do they know? And, and that's that's an accurate description, but you know, um, it's 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 a fun game to play. Um, I don't, I, I you know, I, I never really have figured out why it's such a turnoff for some people, but but that's okay. I mean, everybody's got a different different shake, you know. I think it's just because you can't tie a bead, you know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you can't tie a bead, but the guys that I guide with up there. I mean, everybody has their own secret formula for painting beads. You know, they'll start with a, a with a, a salmon row orange, and and then they've got a certain, you know, a certain bottle of Revlon nail polish that they'll put on, and then dust with flour, and then, you know, it's 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 kind of crazy. I was at Bristol Bay Lodge a number of years ago, and and I'd hear I'd hear my guides on the phone at night in the office, and they'd be talking to their girlfriend, and it's like. Yeah, I need two bottles of Revlon <laughs> 704 Naked Blush, and I need. Uh, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what are you doing, man? They'd stay up all night just painting the perfect bead, and uh, I don't know that that's. I don't know that that's necessary, um, but hey, you know, if you're fishing something you believe in, and you, and you think it gives you an edge over over the next guy on the river, then you know it's probably important. Sure, truce. So I'm going to beat this joke into the ground, but who do you take your beads to paint? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said, who do you take your beads to to paint them? <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> uh, now, you know, um, I, I, I'll paint my beads, but I'm a little less picky than, than the other guys. I, um, I, I was all about um, efficiency. I would literally, I'd string 50 beads up on a piece of mono and stretch it between two nails in my cabin. And then I'd take some red, uh, permanent marker and just like make a line down the whole row of beads. And then I'd go back over it with a brush of, you know, whatever Revlon color I wanted, um, it, to pale them out. And the, the, the fingernail polish would kind of melt the red permanent marker and turn it into kind of a, you know, a swirly pattern. 
and I'd let it dry. The next morning, I'd crack them off, and uh, I'd have, you know, 50 beads. <laughs> it took me 10 minutes to paint. And some of these guys will spend an hour on a bead. So how many years into, into guiding in Alaska did you yeah. learn that trick? Repeat that. You said some guys will spend an hour on a bead? Well, not not one. They'll okay. they'll set like, like they'll set up a uh, the the common rig is they'll have a bunch of toothpicks and a piece of styrofoam, <laughs> and they'll and they'll have maybe six six beads or a dozen beads, and they'll spend an hour or hours oh. painting those beads, getting them just right. Wow. Huh. So you know, tying flies. Well, you know, you, you can't tie a bead, but you can. But the the guides all make them their own. You know, they do different things to them to make them their own. And where do you, uh, where where can Bob White be found in Alaska now? Well, I so I um, I have two very different lodges that I host trips at. One in the spring is on the Alagnac River at Alaska Trophy Adventures Lodge, and it's a it's a river based. Um, lodge so you fly in to the strip at the lodge in a beaver on wheels and then you're at the lodge for the week um the good news well there's a lot of good news a good aspects about that uh there's a ton of braids up in that part of the lagnac and so you know with all those braids you probably have 100 miles of river that you can fish from the lodge with a boat i mean it just it's braid behind braid behind braid um and the other good thing is that um, one of the things that I thought about Alaska when I started guiding was you needed to get in a float plane to find remote water. Um, but if you can find it and you can land there, anybody else can too. Um, really, the most remote fishing that I found is either either a river that's licensed or you know you have a license to to use it, so it's private and you can land your float plane on it, or rivers that you can't land a float plane on like the Alagnac, the upper Alagnac. And so, um, you know, it's, you don't see anybody for, for a week and it's super remote. So that's what I do in the spring. That's the opening week, um, this year, June 7 to 14. And then I host a week at Royal Coachman Lodge, which is a, a more traditional fly out lodge. And that happens the last week of August or the first week of September, generally on that cusp. And, um, the first week is all rainbow fishing, rainbow and grayling, because the salmon aren't in yet. And the last week at Coachman, it's a combination of char, dolly varden, rainbow, and silver salmon, which are kind of at the, the height of their run. So two very different experiences. And then I'm I'm also going up a third week in the middle of the season to my old stomping grounds at Tick Chick Narrows Lodge. Um, I'm going up just to paint for the week, take photographs, um, and, and visit with with Bud Hodson, who is the owner of that lodge, and and the guy that married Lisa and I. You get a quite a few uh, frequent flyer miles. It seems like quite a few what frequent flyer miles. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess um, I'm not leaving a, a, a tiny carbon footprint, um, but I try and make up for it in other ways. Exactly. So, did you ever do the uh, the pike gig up in Alaska? Oh yeah, man! Some of the best pike fishing in the world. Um, I know you're probably talking about um, like Midnight Sun Lodge out in Western Alaska. Um, I mean, that's sort of the, that's become sort of the famous big pike um, spot. 
But um, we fish some spots. Uh, Royal Coachman fishes some spots early in the season before I get there um, up north on, on some tributaries to the um, Yukon, and they just get monster pike. Um, I've never had be- better pike fishing than in Alaska. When I was guiding up there, um, you'd ask your fishermen, what, so what do you want to do? tomorrow and then i go fish rainbows and grayling and i go well, i got a great pike slew we could fish for an hour or two in the morning nah i don't want to fish pike i fish pike back in minnesota and it's like well let's just go give it a try and and if you guys aren't into it man we'll just boogie right out and we'll end up spending all morning there and having lunch before we go to the trout river <laughs> just because <laughs> there's just so many pike you know you throw a you throw a fly out and there's there's wakes coming from five different directions and whoever gets there first, you know, hits the fly. It's, it's pretty, pretty darn exciting. Not particularly the biggest pike I've ever caught, but a ton of them and a lot of action. It's a great place to teach a, a kid how to, you know, how to fly fish because the tuition is, is not very high at all. We had a buddy that uh, him and his girlfriend would go to Alaska and guide every summer and they mm-hmm. des- they de- designated her the pike guide. Oh really? So, yeah, they put her in a boat and let people go out, and I guess she did really well. Uh, awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Good times. Yeah, for sure. No, I think pike are underrated, and you know, um, in order to get people to travel to fish for pike, I think it's got to be extraordinary sizes and numbers. You know, like um, you know, up in at Great Slave Lake or um, out in, in Western Alaska at the Midnight Sun um, Lodge. Um, where they've just got huge fish, but it, they sure are a nice addition to, you know, a week, uh, to a menu of fishing over a week. Yeah. It adds a little bit of variety. Like you said, like your Western, Absolutely. your Midwestern lifestyle, you know? Absolutely. So Bob, we've had you on for over an hour. Um, okay. God, it's close it to an hour, like that. It's close to an hour and a half. I didn't realize that. Um, wow. where can people go in, in a, pre-order your book or where can they go to buy it when it comes out oh uh well thanks for bringing that up i totally forgot um so we don't have um we don't have a a review copy yet um but if someone is interested in pre-ordering the book um just based on the work and and you know what they know of it just send me an email and and tell me you know you'd like to pre-order have a book set aside for you and i'll I'm compiling a um, you know a list of people who are doing that, and when we get to the books, I'll contact you. We'll have it up on our website by by that time, and I'll just contact you and ask you to if you're still interested to go to our website and 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 order the book. It'll be ready to go. righty. that sounds a uh, that sounds great. I think I'm gonna get on that list. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd, I'd be I'd be honored to have you have you review the book. Heck yeah, man. My uh, my art. Taste is a uh, Charlie Brownish, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll probably find something you like in there. <laughs> uh, there might be one or two. <laughs> so, um, about your paintings, also, where can people go and if they want to purchase a print or an original picture, where can uh, where can sure. they go? Sure. Um, uh, go to our website. It's 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 pretty simple to remember. It's um, you know bobwhitestudio.com so www.bobwhitestudio.com and um uh you can i think you have i think people have a lot of fun just visiting the website there 
there's one section uh, called The Adventures of Bob White, and there's uh, 80 or 90 um, short stories or illustrated essays, you know, stuff from uh, Argentina, experiences in Alaska, uh, around the house here, musky fishing, you know, just, I, I love to write, and um, and that's that's sort of where I've collected some of these stories. And one more thing. I asked you to do something the last time you were on, but we lost that episode, so I'm going to ask you to do it again. Sure. Can, can you please go back to doing the step-by-steps of your paintings? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like you used to do I haven't Drake. done that in a while. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was my favorite part about the Drake message board, was seeing the step-by-step Bob White paintings. Yeah, you know what? Um, this painting, this redo I'm doing for my daughter, um, I'll make a point of doing that, and I'll start posting on the Drake again. Awesome. I'll have so, to, so look for it there. I'll have to sign back in. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Alrighty, Bob. Hey, uh, Musky Madness, what time of year is it going to be this year? So this year, Musky Madness is um, September 18, 19, and 20. Um, the schedule is that um, we arrive at the lodge um, Thursday evening um, on the 17th, and then that gives us three full days of fishing, 18, 19, and 20. We keep the lodge the night of the 20th, so you can fish a full day, come back, have dinner, hang out with your friends, have kind of some farewell toasts, and then, you know, wake up in the morning bright-eyed and bushy-tailed to catch your flight or drive <laughs> yeah. home. Yeah. So sleep on an airplane on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> Saw right through that, didn't you? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's how we all live. Like I said, I've been picturing myself there this entire talk. <laughs> so. Sweet. Hey, it was great spending some time with you, Bob. Uh, yeah, uh, great spending time with you guys, and um, I sure appreciate it. And um, you know, anytime I can be helpful, just let me know. Yeah, much appreciated. What was it? Ten thousand uh, days? Uh, that I shit need, sucked. I mean, sound wise, I could no, not even that. No, they don't sound anything remotely close. No, they said no. The way that they put the music together. No. The complexity of the music, the way they like they play in different times for different lengths and they they kind of they'll play through the same time like for a little while and then they'll switch it up and like both of them are very complex tool they are like, but tool, they're tool different places. though tool is sure? complex because they're the same, it's I said over they're it's overthought by maynard coheed's complex because it's actually wrote off a book it's wrote off a comic book all of their albums are based off of comic books they wrote so the spay and the complexity and that's so I, I don't know I, I think it's uh, I just see the complexity I think it could be better music. it is and it's and it, um, it, it's good I think it'd be better if it wasn't as much but I like the build up in it and that is one thing with Tool that I think they have better than any other band is the build up in their songs does come complete I guess more after two minutes three minutes. Better than any other band does. I played drums for a, a while, and you know, grew up like a, a cousin who was really good at guitar and played a lot. And when you listen to this, and just the time changes that are even in the like the subtlety of like just the music, like Tool has time changes and the timing, and like they're playing in like three six and all kinds of silly ass shit that I, I can't even bend my mind around to think about trying to play and. 
They're good. They're 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 all they're really good musicians. Like you said, maybe uh, some of it I don't like because it's a little drug on. Like even like I said, I don't like the Ten Thousand Days album. Are we recording this? We are recording. Okay, we're we're live. <laughs> I, I really don't. I really didn't care for it just because I thought it was a little dragging, a little a little like down. It's it's one of them things where it's it's about a a B, and if Maynard wasn't so far off as rocker, and you had somebody just a little bit different, even though he does make it the complexity it is. It could be that much better. I like it. I don't <clears throat> get into Tool. I'm not a Tool fan. But this album, this album takes me back to 97, playing basketball, listening to rock and roll. This is rock and roll in 97, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and sure. This <clears throat> is the shit I dig. Oh, and yeah. This is what we grew up on. Like, yes. Right, like I said, riding around in my, my cousin's Dakota, like he had us listening to Tool, old Incubus from like the 90s and... Corn's you know, first album. Corn's first album was great. Oh my god! Oh, Shoots and, and ladders. Me and Steve used to listen to it so much. <clears throat> and I, I know it's probably politically incorrect, but my favorite song on that whole album is "Faggot." I love that tune. See, and mine, rocks. even though it was just a couple years behind you, was "Follow the Leader." That was the one for like. Same with like "Rage." How oh, no. you guys had your early part? It was called uh, "Battle of Los Angeles." That was like the album for me on that side. Life is Peachy was before Fall of the Leader, correct? Yes. Yes, Life, Life is, is Peachy was a good one. That was a rocker. Yes. That was a that rock was, show. Oh, yeah. Yep. That had Adidas on it, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was a good album. I like that one. <laughs> All that crazy shit, too. Yeah, uh, had the guy barking. Yeah, well, what was... Uh, what was uh, I tell Freak you what, leash. though. Which, which album was that? That was Fall of the Leader. Fall of the Leader. Fall of the leader. Okay. But the self-titled album with the bagpipes. All of it was good. I liked all that stuff. That was definitely a... I like I said, Tool just flew. Uh, then Tool did. I didn't like Tool in 2006 though. I just didn't. They just the music just was a little too down for me at that point. I don't know no, them no. in 2006. You well, know, that was like the said like the 10,000 days. Yeah, I, and he had wrote that about his mom. Uh, Maynard wrote that about it. I'm like my roommates were really Judith. big on this. I, yeah, I I like a perfect circle because a perfect circle had Judith yeah. about that. And he yeah. laid, he named his wine brand Judith or. Or he has a wine called Judith. It's all about his mom. I almost would rather yeah. listen to Perfect Circle, in my opinion. I, I, I would rather man. listen to Perfect Circle, except for this album. This is a good album. This album. Yeah, oh, my God. Album. This, um, I I just scrolled through this we're, album. We're probably, we're probably helping out uh, our buddy Pat's a big Tool oh, fan. We know I'm that. Sure. We've, we've seen a... Hooker with a Penis is my favorite Tool song. That's it, 46 and 2 on it, too. Which is yeah. Yeah. Yep. All of it was... Pretty good. It's just oh god, it, all this old '90s rock. It's it gets me in the bones, man. It gets me in the feels. I love it. All right, enough about who I do. I want to talk about our guest we just had on. Oh my oh, god, yes, please. Thanks. Oh, <laughs> oh man, that was awesome. All of us stood up after that and we're like, wow. I'm so energetic right now just from talking to him and his upbeat spirit. Oh man, dude, I love it. I love it. It does. It's it's when he's one of those guys. He just Get you on the inside. It, I took two things. Uh, I, I had to write two things down on a piece of paper because I knew I'd forget them if I didn't write them down. You? Uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> two things he said during the interview we just did. Uh, the day and the friends. You know, there those. He said there were like five phases of fly fishing. You know, the learning, the catching fish, wanting to what catch a lot of fish. H. You know, catching a lot of fish, hmm? and then learning a, that it really isn't about any of that crap. Bulgy. And 
that was one thing I took from that, and mm-hmm. I, I thought that was awesome. The day in the friends. That's how you like at the end of like when, like well, we're kind of starting to get into. We all still we still like to catch a lot of fish. I think a little, but I think we're getting into the stages in our lives where we're like. It is more about the I don't time really we really spent. like to catch a lot of fish. We just want to catch that fish. Oh, that fish. Well, and, and we know what that. But fish we want to be the, a lot of times. You know, it just like I, I still the time out. Even if it's by yourself, it's still like that time out. It's that time you could take in just being out. The fish was one part of it, but the whole experience was better than just the fish, right? Don't be such an like, asshole. Yeah. Uh, that's me not being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but I, th- I took that from it. You're going to wear that thing out in one night. Yeah. Uh, but no, the other thing was uh, more flies than a garbage truck. That's awesome. <laughs> that's that was an awesome <laughs> saying. I, uh, I thought you were writing that down. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good just saying. just thinking of my basement when he said, uh, yep. yeah. That's, uh, this, this table. This that table be, is starting to look like more flies than a garbage truck. That needs to be a t-shirt. More flies than a garbage truck. We were just saying off, off the air that... Uh, I think uh, we have a lot of flies that we've been getting from great tires. From listeners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listeners uh, bodies, like you. Bodies, all it's kinds of different people. We box these in. It's just in a big old box. We just carry it around with us wherever we go. Exactly. I, think that's I mean, awesome there's idea. everything from trout to smallies to pike to muskie. And you're just going to have a big old cliff box and jam that sucker full. There's top water. There's everything. Heck yeah. I'm in, man. These are way better than the flies I tie. For sure. Yeah. A lot better than Jay's. <laughs> oh. No, this, this top water. You look like the Clouser with the wraps behind the eyes. Hey, 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 hey. That's going to catch a million <laughs> smallmouth. You're going to like pull. a rabbit with a skirt you know, I'm on. Gonna catch, I'm going to catch seven smallmouth. Chad's going to be swimming a fly that's like only running like seven inches deep. I'm going to bounce in the bottom, catch seven fish. He's going to be like, all right, why don't you give me one of those stupid Clousers that have the wraps tied behind the eyes? And I'll be like, here you go, Chad. I'd, I'd rather get skunked than throw that thing. <laughs> I'm decent. I, oh, I'm, oh, no, 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 no. When the day comes. When that day comes. We, we had a hopper, and Jay sat here and dissected all the legs off of it. I pulled one leg off on accident. <laughs> you amputated it. <laughs> one leg. <laughs> one leg on accident. So I, I It want, wouldn't go where I wanted it to go. Speaking of that leg, I want to talk about today a little bit. We, oh, we'll talk about it. Yeah, I just, you know, we're just bullshit for now. Sorry. No, I, I, no, I know. I, I, we were throwing flies that looked just like that hopper today. And I had a brick truck come up and whack it. It fucking whacked it. It was awesome. And that was my three seconds of fish experience today. <laughs> I caught a brick trout today. Nice. After we walked about 17 million miles. <laughs> or six. Well, you know, I, we, me and, <laughs> I, felt, you know, I felt terrible. I felt terrible. I, I texted Chad after the, uh, after the fly tying night. I felt like I got on him a little bit too much about him being fat, <laughs> and it was in front of friends and people we know, and I didn't, I, you know, I didn't want to offend him or hurt his feelings, so you know, I texted him afterwards and I said, "Man, hey, buddy, I was, you know, I didn't mean it like that. I love you, you're my best buddy, you know. Come on, man, like, I, you know, they're really emotional texts. I can read them on the air. Oh yeah, like. no, no, don't don't read them on the air. I'll, I'll get, I'll start crying. Uh, no, they're they're heartfelt, but uh, you know, I need my I need my fat friend to be here forever because he he rose better than Mark. So, Mark's not getting there, but he ain't as good as Chad. So, you know, I need my fat wow. friend here forever. So, <laughs> so that's, that's been basically where the, the text went. Uh, but I need your fat ass here, so you need to lose your belly. That's, that's what, uh, the, you know. So, we walked six miles Is that today. why you hiked me t- yes, so far today? That's why I was like, All right, you better get your drunk ass off, off out of bed, and we're going to walk six miles today up and down a fucking... 
a mountain. Really? But you saw who wasn't huffing and puffing as much as who else. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I'm skinny. I didn't have said. I never said I had cardiovascular health you're, yet. You're skinny fat. I'm skinny fat. Oh yeah, I'm like. <laughs> how am I doing? <laughs> like I look like I, I sound like I'm like 350 pounds. You're wheezing. <laughs> it's a, it's a, you, you, you thought you were hiking with Pat Lombardo. Poor oh. <laughs> Pat, he's going to take a whoop in here. <laughs> but he's listening to us, so it's all good. It's yeah. good. <laughs> but, no, he is, I mean, just kidding, buddy. No, not he even gets hearing up, us he talk. He gets up and down them, them PA uh, little streams, too. And he hits the gym, man. He's, oh, I'm he's just all about he, it. I'm just yeah. joking. I'm just joking around. Yeah, after that last Sunday around, thanks for that. Appreciate it, Jay. Oh, you <laughs> do fine, but, you know, you're still not as good as Chad. Chad Chad's the one who taught it all of us. I'll remember that. So I will. I, fair and square. Lost the bet. I will row. I'll remember that when I'm rowing. Eight foot hey, off hey, the hey, bank. Hey, hey, hey. No, no, no. I, no I, told, I told you I'd row all day. I just didn't just tell you well. where. Oh, well. oh, no, no. That's not how. I will yell at you like you yell at any of us. Oh, Turn it sideways and spin you in circles. There will be some WTFs going out if that's happening. <laughs> I want the treatment, man. He wants bum taps and everything when oh, he catches yeah. fish. I want, I, I'm, I, I want to do it on a smallmouth float. I hope it's like a 60 fish day, too, <laughs> where the stripers are out, everything's running. I'll and bring I'm, my two-hander, so I'll just drop the anchor and net fish all day. That's great. Better than just rowing all day. Better catch we're not, something. We're not gonna, no, we can't anchor. Thanks. We have to get through the whole float. Absolutely. We're going to do two floats in one day. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> just the top that end. Any part. <laughs> just, just, just from, just from Thomas to the loop. So, Jay. Whack hundreds. We were following some cool tr- uh, tracks today. Oh, it was, it, was, it was fun. We did, you know, we talked and talked to one of your buddies. We were at Fly Tongue Night, and we talked about another little brook trout stream, and it's his favorite. I don't know why. And <laughs> I'm like... I walked it for the second time, and this time I was like, well, I fished a lot of this, Chad, and I'm not trying to, you know, I, I'm not trying to say I'm the greatest fisherman ever. I might not have been doing a good enough job, but, you know, why don't we walk down, and we're going to fish the stream back up. I would rather fish upstream anyway. And we'll That's what Bob White says to do. It's how you fish trout, dude. You walk upstream. So... <laughs> Who else? Did, did you see Jay's face when he said that? Who else just said that? <laughs> Who else just said that a week ago, right? Or a couple weeks ago? Uh, the man, the myth, the legend said that as well. You walk and fish upstream. No, right? he he fishes across stream. Yeah, well, but he's either fishing up, but he's he said he wanted to he wanted to walk down and fish up the stream. He wanted to fish up a ripple. He wanted to he does not want to fish down at anything. I caught that one yesterday walking downstream. <laughs> Hey, hey, I didn't say it works every time. <laughs> I'm just listening. I just had to throw it in there. I'm just listening to the guys I'm listening to, the greatest ever. I shouldn't even say that because I was standing on the le- like end of the brush, roll casting it straight across from me. Just, just as, like as you swinging can, it. As you can, yeah, you can see that. As it was a twitching it. swing. <laughs> so that's still really, that's still, still sideways. Yeah. Yeah. He's still moving the thing across the, sideways, but. But I think I found some oysters today. I don't know you if it, I don't know if it's out of season for them or, but it's the first time I've, I've ever seen them. So I did. How did them get there? 
I, I know nothing about freshwater oysters. No, 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 no. mushrooms. All mushrooms. Yeah, oysters. I thought you meant like oyster shells oysters. No, those yeah. would be mussels. Oh. I was like, oh, wait. Yeah, uh, mushrooms. Okay, now that makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Jed, Jed didn't hang out with me for too long and start seeing oysters now. They're in the trees. <laughs> the oysters were in the trees, Mark. <laughs> now, you're, now you're really thinking. But that was on the yeah, log that was. we saw the, yeah. the, the cool prints. Yeah. Well, yeah, and these... Man, we did. We, yeah, we saw some really cool prints. They were, uh, we think, what we were did like. you turn into Inspector Gadget? Go, go, we, Gadget Eyes. Oh, we absolutely were like Native American Indian. Like, like. I put my moccasins on. We were, we were like <laughs> following the trail. Like, and it, no, but, but it was cool to get to see some different prints you don't get to see very often, like mid sized cat prints. And there is no way in hell any dog or even like Chad said, there's no way a fox even ran across. Walked th- like a maybe a three to four inch log. It was a four inch down tree. Yeah, four inch down tree. Like, and no way he walked all the way down that thing, you know, with that kind of precision. Uh uh-uh. uh. So, it's just not something a canine would do. No, no, they would have walked right beside it. You know what I mean? And because because dogs are smart. Wow. Well, you know, they're just <laughs> hey, just you know, they're not they're not. I don't know, they're just different. But you could see you could see there on on this ridge line we walked. You could see like three, maybe the two to three different apex predator, you know, prints. prints you know? And then at the bottom of the hill, there were turkey prints. Yeah, turkey prints, a few, a rabbit, I saw rabbit prints on there, a few other, you know, there were deer tracks all over the damn place. There's but a lot of birds on that lower end. <coughs> it was it was pretty cool because, man, but those, those, he, he would, you would see because there's no way even, a, even like somebody's dog was going to run, like, the line on this. Uh, uh, we are actually walking it. It made sense to walk it. <laughs> Where he was walking, it made sense to walk, but, like, no dog was going to walk that way. They would have walked up top and just stayed up top. You know what I mean? Instead of, like, kind of... It was it was cool. I, I thought I had, I had a good time Instead of showing off like the cat did. Yeah. <laughs> and we followed this thing for... The whole way down the creek? Yeah. As far as until we turned around, because it kept going. And then... We oh, we dropped down into the creek and then back up the other side and we were in this uh, laurel thicket, like mountain laurels. And I was I was kind of creeped out. I was like, ah, we're walking around here. And then Jay said, "This looks like a hell of a spot for a mountain lion." I said, "Get out of my head, Jay," because <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. Well, and you guys at tiny night were sitting there talking about snakes. That never crossed my mind ever. Oh going yeah, through that for period. Oh yeah, and you started saying, "I'm like, oh boy, I better take that into consideration from now. I want to tramp around in the woods. I never once ever crossed my mind that there were snakes in there. I didn't know that. Well, I and it was funny. A guy that I work with, um, he's an old, oh, the old man I work with every day, grumpy old bastard. But he, he goes to me. He goes, man, I saw this cool thing, you know, about snakes and stuff. Uh, he goes like to go to a lot of our local, uh, like, uh, fishery, like just local parks and stuff. He'll go down to like Moraine and all these different places around here, you know, and he went to one and it was talking about, we have actually in this area, right where we live in Western Pennsylvania. Yeah. Like, I mean, in, in our County and the counties just East and South of us have, uh, one, a couple different certain stakes that are, you know, I mean, we have timber rattlers. They're a little more east, but there's a, mis- I can't even pronounce it, but a Masagana or Masaga, I, I, somebody's going to, please 
Please write in and correct me. Yeah, you. please correct, yeah, correct me. But there's a small rattlesnake that lives just in, like, Mercer County, Venango, yeah. Lawrence County that we have just exclusive, like, to right here. And that's the one and on the creek local to us that there's... That one you have to park yeah. and walk a long way back down a railroad trail. I don't think you guys have ever fished it. It's above a delayed harvest area in a tunnel. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But there's a house close to there, and if it floods real bad, the snakes will push up in, and they'll get into our house, and she has to leave. Yeah. They're bad. Yeah. That area has Those a little ton of them. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah they're right. found Can't right... Back yeah. There. They're found right around here, and, like, it's pretty... It, and I just... Pike, I, though. But it was cool. That guy, he, you know, he knows I'm into the outdoors and stuff like that, so he brought it up to me. He's like, look it up on the Google later. You know, because he doesn't have a smartphone, and so I was like, oh, I looked it up, and I he was he was exactly right in what everything he was saying, and I was like, wow, that's and we actually have a northern uh, uh, cottonmouth around here too that I didn't know. This kind of like a water moccasin type deal. I didn't know that. So I had no idea. And I you know we run around the creeks and run outside all day. So I listen to Cal's Weekend Review every week when I post this podcast, and it just so happens that last week he was talking about this. And do you know the difference between venomous and poisonous? Poisonous doesn't kill you? No. Venomous, <laughs> they inject it into their prey. Poisonous, they secrete it to keep predators from eating them. So, so that's poisonous snakes do not give it to you. You get it from eat trying to eat them. Correct. So as long as you don't bite them, you're good. Yes. But these ones we're talking about try to bite us, and that's not good. That's venomous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, these are three okay. venomous snakes from here. Yes. Yeah. That's the venom- only three that we have that I think are. We have Do we have poisonous snakes here? Um, they said garter snakes are poisonous because uh, what they eat, they'll retain some poison from the, the animals that they eat, and they'll just retain it. And then if a bird eats them, they're poisonous to the bird. It, it was weird. It's convoluted. I'm not it, trying to eat any gardener snakes in the near future, so I'm good. I'm not either. Uh, my wife and I saw a snake last Monday. Uh, I'm not sure what it was. It was like light brown to a tan. It was right over by the pond. It was small and flicked its red tongue at us a bunch. I took a bunch of pictures of it, and then it went into the water. Coolest ones I think we have are the rat snake, because they're giant. You can see rat snakes that are like, <laughs> you know, like seriously, like yeah. six feet long, seven feet long. Probably I don't know maybe I'm maybe making it up but I I you know mean like a 200 pound big. flathead yeah exactly they're but they get big <laughs> they get big big I heard but st- they're really cool to see I heard stories about when my mom and dad bought this house over in the barn across the street about giant rat snakes yeah they get pretty big and they're they're, they're but they're, they're he said it was 18 feet does some right your dad he said it was he said it was, <laughs> he said it was like an anaconda it was like yeah. wrapping up around like the trestles and yeah did you ever see the movie J Lo oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, I saw it. <laughs> Duh. Only for that's J-Lo. What, that's what he said. <laughs> Sounds like a J-Lo movie. But they get, yeah, they get big. My dad, ha- he had, he has one in his woodpile. Lives in the backyard. You know what scares me about snakes? They keep the, they keep the mice out, though. You know what scares me about snakes and spiders? Is I don't know enough about snakes and spiders to not be scared of them. I tell my wife not Ignorance to kill any bliss. of them. Uh, yeah. Don't kill them. They do be- They do great things. They eat bugs. Malaria kills more people than spiders do. I'll, take your word I'll believe on it. it. I yeah, I, I'm just saying. I never looked that fact up. I, I Sounds would, good. I would say. Also, that's a J fact. I would say, or did you 
hear that song. I'm sure. I'm probably. No. Uh, dude, if you, if you, you want to do I'll Google it right now. Jesus Christ. This is what we call drunk facts. Okay. <laughs> and it's one thing to like say a statement to keep things moving, but it's another thing to make up a statement. And <laughs> I would be willing to... Don't be such an asshole. There you go. Yeah, Perfect. Yeah, finally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Jay. Yep, there you go. Stalling everything. So do we have anything else we want to hit on tonight? Um, once again, nope. go check out Bob White Studio or BobWhiteStudio.com. Um, if anyone is local next week. He's phone uh, Skeeto. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I thought it was going to be malaria. M O S M O S Q U, and then then autocorrect should take it over from there. Oh, there we go. <laughs> but uh, I want to thank Bob White. Check him out at bobwhitestudio.com. Uh, if anyone's local next week that wants to come to a shindig, hit Jay or myself up. I gave my phone number at the beginning of the show. If you wow. want, call me. Mosquitoes kill a f-load of people more than human murders, snakes, spiders, sharks, bats, and everything else. Basically, more than lightning. <laughs> I would I would imagine more than sharks. All, all yeah. of it apparently. I, it's Smithsonian. Where, Smithsonian. Dude. Where do mosquitoes come into hey, play? Hey, get that. You get said that tipped over beer can off the podcast table. You said spiders <laughs> and malaria, and now all of a well, sudden spiders, you have mosquitoes spiders kill, No, spiders eat mosquitoes, and mosquitoes. No, we're not talking about malaria. the cycle of life. We're talking about how many people do spiders kill, and how many people does malaria kill? Well, m- that mosquitoes was the carry the malaria, and that's the most likely way to get malaria, right? Mm-hmm. So that was my my point. If you keep the mos- the spiders alive, they'll kill the mosquitoes. Mosquitoes but have mosquitoes malaria. Mosquitoes also carry a lot of other diseases. That aren't that's malaria, what yeah, well, I'm too. saying. Yeah, I like. I the, mean, that's as malaria as a whole. I like the spiders. Mosquitoes kill more people. Okay. Keep I don't like spiders. mosquitoes one bit. No, that's why I like the spiders. That's why I tell my wife not to kill the spiders because kill spiders eat mosquitoes. Jesus, that's <laughs> what my point was. You know what? You should like more than spiders. Bats. And I, you know what? I hate more than both of them ticks. So. When I go home today, since I walked six miles in the wood, I'm going to have my wife check me for chicks. She's going to inspect inside your asshole. Oh, dude, just got to take... No, just got to check my taint. And that's it. Just check my taint. I'm going to spread my butt cheeks for one second, babe. You just got to look at it. I'm sorry. And, got, then, and then I'll have your wife lift your gunt. I got fissures back there. They're probably crawling inside that. <laughs> Did I break the podcast? All right, we're done. <laughs> hey, on that note. I'm glad this mic's soft. It's a good place for me to rest my head right now. We did talk about catching at least one brook trout, right? We, yeah, you, you mentioned it in passing. Okay, awesome. Awesome. It was really pretty fish. It was a fun day. It I, was a fun day. <laughs> we had, had a good, good time together. I had a good time. Yes. I, I had a good time, even though it was with you. Uh, there was no alcohol <laughs> involved either, and we actually had a good time together. Huffing and puffing. Until the drive home. I wrote I cracked, down a hill on a tube all day while you guys did that. I cracked a beer in Mercer on the way home. That had been riding in my truck since fly tag night. <laughs> that was definitely a roadie soda. Oh. Big up to our sponsors. Speaking of that, I, I was telling Jay, I have that Yeti half-gallon jug. I love it. The, uh, the spout on it, if you leave it in your truck in the wintertime, the spout will freeze. 
That's the only thing that's not insulated is the spout. <laughs> I didn't know that. So, well, yeah, is that one a pain was, to get off? It was 20 the, degrees. The lid? The lid was fine to get off. but uh, Mine can be a nightmare. But I, I put my palm on it while I was driving. Because I filled it up with water and ice this morning. But it, the spout was frozen. And I didn't realize it was in the house. So I put my palm on it. And I, like, friction the ice in the on the spout for the entire ride to Jay's house. And then I knocked it down. Gave myself another ice cube. It worked when we got to the creek. It was fine. It was awesome. Jay, Jay stole one of my son's water bottles from the back seat. Yes. Had, oh, you should bring I, no water with you. No. Well, no. Chad said... No, Chad only had that, that gallon. We weren't taking it down so the creek Jay with us. So Jay brought no water with him. So <laughs> I was like... Well, no. I was like... Are we actually going to take it on the walk? Because if you had water, uh, we were at my house. If he would have said we need water, I'd have got water. But who goes he took on the a gallon six mile walk and doesn't bring water? I didn't bring it with me on the he, walk. He didn't. He didn't have any with him on the walk. And I'm like, we're not taking any on the walk. I know halfway through the walk, I'm going to need some because on the walk back, I'm going to definitely need some because you know halfway through the walk, I'm probably going to stop and you know hang out and then gentleman's and, break. Yeah, watch yeah, yeah. watch the water for a while and. You know, and not if you have small. So we, yeah, there was no, a water no. bottle, so I took it with us. We took two swigs off it, and that was it. Nice. I didn't, I didn't have any on the wall. Oh, I did. Shit, <laughs> my ass. You're fucking bogarting it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like water? No, I don't have any water. You had two pair of gloves this whole time. <laughs> no. <laughs> Tonight's show brought to us by Predator Fly Gear. Check them out, PredatorFlyGear.com. A-Rex Hooks. A-Rex-Hooks.com. Sims Fishing. Find all their outdoor products at simsfishing.com. If you like this show being brought to you, uh, that's being broadcast from... <laughs> if you like this show that's being broadcast we, we at say its name first. the Urban Fly Company studio, you should leave us a recommendation on iTunes or whatever wherever you get your podcasts. Why not fishing? Check out their after dark. Yeti. Built for the wild. We gotta keep this going just till this next song starts, and then we're gonna. Hey, fade go out. check out Bob White. He was a great guest tonight. I, I had a ton awesome. of fun talking to him. That was a lot him. of fun. Great conversation. Yes. And hopefully you'll be one of the twelve anglers at Musky Madness. That'd be fun. Wow, Chad! Jesus fucking Christ! What? I mean, 